Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. There's like literally around 200,000 titles to choose from for any platform you want, so give it a try. It's awesome. I did what I did for the good of the realm. The realm? Do you know what the realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Well met, archers and spearwives, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the court joker. And I am Lady Kristen of House McWiggleburgino, Khaleesi of the Pavement, mother of half marathons. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's pretty badass, seriously. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 68. On this episode of our series, Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season three, episode six, the Climb. And just for anybody who's not already aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the perspective of someone who is current on the show. At this point, that means you've seen all the way through season seven, and you're waiting through the long night for the next season like we are. So, this is your spoiler warning. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you still have time to fall from a cliff. Literally fall from a cliff. Literally fall from the wall. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is a killer episode. How about that? Yeah, I love it. What's funny is that um, I was looking at I was looking at a bunch of notes uh, about this episode from when it came out. And apparently um, the way ratings used to work. or I don't know if they still work now. I, (laughs) I know nothing about ratings and don't care. Jon Snow. But what I thought. What I thought was interesting was that next, uh, the next episode, uh, the Bear and the Mating Fair, had really low ratings. What? Um, and they said the no reason way. why that is is because less people uh, would would watch the show if they didn't like the previous week. Oh very yeah, much. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And so because that we had had, you know, and now his watches ended in Kissed by Fire, which were two very high energy episodes. This one w- was uh, more of an understated episode that was more book relevant and was setting up for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, viewers were turned off to the fact that it was, quote unquote, slower. But I mean, I was watching it, uh, you know, Dave and I were watching it the other night and we both looked at each other like 20 minutes in, maybe even less than that. We're like, this is a jam, jam packed episode. So much. 
So it's just funny what the casual fan is and what the serious fan is and really how you take in these episodes week by week. Yeah, yeah. the different ways that people can react to what, mm-hmm. what they call slow, we call jam-packed. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> exactly. Like There's so much hap- that happens in this episode. One man's trash oh is another person's jam-packed episode. Yeah, and this and this is a, a chessy episode, so I bet you liked it too, with all the marriage stuff going on and the oh yeah posturing between Elena and Tywin and everything. Lots of politics going on. Lot yep. uh, probably one of the best uh, Littlefinger very scenes in the entire series. Not only that, I'd say that's one of the best scenes in the entire series. Anytime you get these two together, I mean, yeah. they're both just you know powerhouses of actors with Aiden Gillian and um and Conleth Hill and they just play off of each other so well I mean whenever (laughs) I see them together I'm like yay something good is gonna happen (laughs) yeah how about I could see like a spin-off prequel to Game of Thrones that's the the spider and the mockingbird it would just be like the chronicles of their their battling each other (laughs) and undermining each other that'd be so cool I would love that yeah it'd be really boring but it'd be awesome actually it probably probably wouldn't be boring yeah because their actions would result in all this crazy conflict and like battles and yeah so yeah it'd be cool i take it back it wouldn't be boring at all you're right <laughs> <laughs> it would be riveting edge of your seat television yes literally edge of your seat literally <laughs> i'm going to this is our word of the day folks i'm going to see how many times i can say this today literally chris trigger <laughs> <laughs> oh man so you want to start off Sure. Um, I'm going to start off actually uh, with the opening scene of the episode. Oh, right. Um, I found myself pressing pause a lot and just stopping to write down a lot of notes. Oh, that's me every week. (laughs) Huge. But I had this huge epiphany about Sam and Gilly. Um, Oh, cool. So Sam and Gilly are by the campfire and they're just, you know, talking about kind of what the wall is like and they're just getting to know each other right yeah, you don't know how scene. to make a fire oh well i never had to make a fire i had servants and it I doesn't found. snow so he says look at this thing i found and she's like what is it right what and they're like do? i don't know but it's cool well what's interesting is that both is, is that we know what dragon glass is now right? right yeah so so stay with me on this because i have a couple points to make about this sure um so the dragon glass, we both of these characters come from two very different parts of Westeros. One is above and one is below the wall. One is highborn and one is incestborn. One is a wildling and one is not a wildling, right? And and the long uh, the last time the Night King came was how long? Like thousands of years? Yeah. Long so last time. That was the last time anybody knew that dragon glass would be an effective tool against the army of the dead and against white walkers. Right. So, um, so it's been such a long time that these two people who one is very educated and the other one, I mean, is from Craster's keep who knows about this, you know, the white walkers and knows about the baby sacrifices and knows about all this stuff. Nobody knows what, what uh this dragon glass does and what's cool is that they kind of happen upon it in a casual part of the conversation like oh look how shiny this is right and you don't really know you don't it doesn't really come back up well it kind of comes back up because of sam the slayer right which i think happens in the next episode or the episode after that yeah yeah yeah. it must be next episode 
The White Walker. I thought it was going to be this episode, so I preemptively titled my number five, Sam the Slayer. I did, too. I was like, oh, I'm really excited. And then it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyways, but that discovering the dragon glass and, and the purpose for the dragon glass ended up being a very pivotal element of the show. Do you see where I'm going with this yet? No, <laughs> but last, I agree, though. Last season, the same thing happened with Sam and Gilly. They were in, they were just talking, family talk. He's home from work. She's tending to the baby, cooking dinner. He's oh, last studying. last season is in season seven. Okay, I yes, thought you I was meant in season, season two. Yes, I season seven. No, I'm sorry, in season seven, they're just, you know, having a little family night after work and he's studying <laughs> and and she's trying to read the books and she w- and she stumbles over the fact that Rhaegar had an annulment. Right. And Rhaegar had a secret marriage to Lyanna. It was a total innocent sentence that, you know, the whole world picked up on, but they didn't pick up on it. And it wasn't until the very end of the season that Sam put it together that this is one of the most pivotal elements of the show again. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that these two people that were put together have now discovered two of Huge probably, things. I'd say, the two of the most things. important discoveries of the entire series. Well, that's a great point. So that's I cool. just was struck by by how cool that 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 was. So, um, yeah, wisdom from the mouths of babes. Yeah. Ba- Gilly's yeah. like a prophet. <laughs> yeah. She's. You know, she, she said, what is it for? What does it do? And it, any like regular normal person's like, it's a fucking dagger. It cuts, it stabs, you know, but right. it, it gave us a hint that like there is something more that it actually does. Like it has this crazy reaction with the White Walkers. Right. So I thought that that was just a cool little epiphany that I made that these two, you know, who a lot of people are like, what is the point of Sam and Gilly? You know, well, this is the point of Sam and Gilly. Yeah, like if if the, <laughs> if uh, they hadn't just gone through this and killed that guy, that White Walker with this with this dragon glass dagger at this moment in this or next episode, I, I think mm-hmm. um, the whole trajectory of everything would be changed. John wouldn't know about uh, dragon glass and its significance. He wouldn't have gone to Dragonstone for it. Never would have linked up with Daenerys. Uh, so yeah, like like you're saying, this is a pivotal moment for uh, for everything for the for the fight. The Great War, you could say, you know, mm-hmm. for what we're waiting for. Yeah, every yeah, everything depended Ev- on it. <laughs> the 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 uh, the combination of ice and fire like probably wouldn't have happened, at least not like this, not as easily, without the shared interest of uh, Dragonglass and you know that whole thing. Right. So that's hardcore. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, anyways, that was my number five. Just um, I just had like this big epiphany about. Sam and Gilly and just how important they are to the story and kind of their accidental accidental discovery. Yeah. That was hard to say. <laughs> uh, they're like totally the uh, the odd couple of Westeros too. The way you described it. One highborn, one incest born. <laughs> you know, know. One from south of the wall, one from north of the wall. Right. It's fucking great. It's so funny. So uh, my number five was um, fun new pairings and Sam and Gilly were first because this is the first time where they're like really a pair um, running off together after the end of last episode and everything yeah I have a question about that I don't mean to stomp on you no but not at all do you think Gilly considers them married at this point since he technically stole uh, since Sam technically stole um, 
Yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, she knows her customs. He may not be familiar with them, but she may just assume that he is aware of her customs and assume that he understood the significance of what happened. So it could, it's, it's definitely plausible that she could, uh, could believe that they're married. Uh, that's wild. So, uh, yeah, I just thought this was a really cool scene with the two of them. Funny little conversations that they're having where they're, like you said, they're getting to know each other and relating. And he's talking about the wall and how huge it is. It's so big, you can, can't even see the top sometimes. It's hidden in the clouds. <laughs> You're playing with me. I'm not. It's 700 feet high, all made of ice. <laughs> it's fucking Sunny great. days, it looks like it's weeping. It's weeping. I loved that. Yeah, such a good line. He's good with the words. Yeah, he, he, yeah you can tell he's a reader <laughs> weeping is a good word for sure he should write a book called a song of <laughs> he may he just may <laughs> uh so that was cool and he's, he goes on to describe the uh you know this scenario where they keep a fire burning all the time and everything and it's just a cool scene and then he sings to her and you could tell that she's just like ah, when he's singing you know <laughs> yes <laughs> they became a family yeah that like solidified it you know um so the next fun new pairing is Mira and Osha and we had a (laughs) (laughs) we had a like we did see them together briefly before but this is the time where they like really get to interact and it starts off with them squabbling about skinning rabbits and uh, it's so fucking funny (laughs) they're like just at each other's throats they they are like they do not like each other I don't know why maybe just because they're both strong women and they're like clashing over who would be like the lead strong woman what do you think what's your take on that why are they so why, what's the, where's the animosity coming from here as a woman? I think Osha just hates her just because uh, Mira almost killed her. Hmm. Yeah, I that, think, that makes I, sense. I she got the better of her simple. and it embarrass, yeah. embarrasses her. And so now she's trying she, to co- overcompensate. Maybe. I mean, she she prides herself on being, you know, real, really tough. And, and she has to protect these boys. And if somebody almost took her out. <laughs> yeah. That was a big moment. (laughs) She's like, sorry. Don't move or I'll stab you. I'm unarmed. She's like, oh, actually, uh, my sister carries a blade. (laughs) But I think you have something there um, as far as who would be the strong. It's probably multifaceted. Strong personalities together. They're either going to work really well together or they're going to just clash. Right. Definitely. Um, And especially if there's insecurity over who's stronger or who's a leader, you know, Mm hmm. Mira probably, I, I had this thought, Mira probably knows that it's going to eventually be her job to bring Bran where he needs to go because Jojen has probably already had that vision. Ooh. So she could just see Osha as an obstacle. Obstacle, yeah, that's true. And Osha, you know, she's like, I got to protect these kids. Like anybody else is an outside threat. So, yeah, it makes sense that uh, that they're, they both are skeptical and wary of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Um so yeah, they're you know they're going on, and there's a lot of funny little lines where Bran gets them to be nice, and you know they're they're she's give uh, oh she's giving her shit about skinning the rabbit wrong and everything, and finally like Bran gets them to calm down, and and uh, Mira admits your way of skinning a rabbit is quicker than mine. <laughs> she's like I she's fucking like, told I you, know, bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny, and uh, and then she sort of tries to do it too, right? Um, she says, you're a good little hunter. She admits it, you know, compliments her. They've both complimented each other and, and they both have to be snarky about it. Thank you. See, not so hard, is it? Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You see, 
And it's like when I talk to my four-year-old. You <laughs> right, see, right. that wasn't hard. <laughs> so yeah, it's so funny. Um, and then it's revealed that uh, Bran or Jojen has seen Jon Snow in his vision, but it's he's on yes, the wrong side of, my, of the wall. That's one of my uh, my thingamajigs. Oh, cool. One of your notes. Nice. Yeah. So that was kind of an important moment. We know that he's on the wrong side of the wall, surrounded by enemies, and we are scared. But he's, you know, on the right side of the wall, or at least on the line uh, at the end of the episode. (laughs) On the wall. (laughs) So, yeah, that pretty much wraps up my number five. How about your numero quattro? Wait, that's it? That's all for new pairings? Yeah, I, I I was in a rush. <laughs> got, oh, what else Tywin you got? and Elena was another one. Oh, uh, we can. I have that as another point. Their whole conversation. So. Oh yes, that's that's one of mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like running down the list though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can. Yeah, that, that's yeah. If you got any other pairings, we can totally do that. Let's see. We, yeah, we got like you said, Tywin and Olena. Anybody else? Um. Oh, we have Theon and Ramsey. Oh. If you want to, if you want to call them a pairing, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> remember, uh, remember how we played business time a couple weeks ago? Yeah. <laughs> this week it's it's torture. It's torture, it's torture time. time. <laughs> Ooh, it's torture time. <laughs> so no, yeah, up. that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, we did see um, new pairing of Arya and Melisandre come oh, together br- very how? briefly. What a great scene that was. You can tell there's going to be, you know, that it's more significant than meets the eye um, based on their reactions to to each other. It's funny. Arya's like, I don't like her. And Angai's like, that's because you're a a lady. (laughs) She's like, I don't don't get it. What what does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, what? I wrote down that Arya doesn't like Melisandre because she doesn't like her. There's no other reason but her gut. And she trusts her gut. And she's like, no, I don't like her. Whether she's a man or a woman has no, there's no difference here. The way she carries herself. She can tell there's like something off, you know. Right. She's and a there sneaker. Was. Yeah, she's right. And John ends up expelling her from the north too. So like Arya and John are very much alike in a number of ways. And this is another example. That's very, another uh, reunion I cannot wait to see oh, is Melisandre with either Arya or, or Gendry or, or Gendry. both. Oh man, yeah, I th- I'm really intrigued to see the Melisandre and Arya thing. Oh man, we know that. Melisandre has to die in this land, so maybe Arya, Arya will is kill, her. kill her. Think so? Um oh, She's on her list. Is she? Mm-hmm. Melisandre's on her list? Yeah. Oh my god, I totally forgot that. She was for a while. I don't know if she took her off, but I know that the li- I know that she's on her list. Wow. Cool. Good to know. Yeah, so that'd be I I could see that happening. For this reason. Yeah. Um, so, so what, what's your, uh, number four? Well, I'll, I'll, um, just talk about it now since we already kind of touched on it was, uh, was Jojen and his vision. Awesome. So he says that Jon Snow is surrounded by enemies on the wrong side of the wall. Now here's the deal. He didn't say where Jon was. He didn't say who Jon was with. He didn't say what part of, of Jon's life his vision was. He didn't say so, what side of the wall is the right side of the wall. Correct. He says he's on the wrong side of the wall. So does that, that mean that he, that he had to go north to go to, to bring everybody south? Does that mean that his enemies are really, um, it could have, it could even foreshadow his death. He's on the wrong side of the wall and he's being killed by his own brothers of the Night Watch, right? Oh man, or that's a crazy way of looking at it. Or he's on uh, the wrong side of the wall when he's at Hardhome and he's surrounded by um, 
uh, the the army of the dead and and he's trying to get everybody out. Those are all yeah. enemies that he's surrounded by. So we don't. It could be a battle of the bastards. He could be south of the wall. Like we don't know which side is the wrong side of the wall. Who his enemies are. Um, it's certainly a, about that. It's cryptic, but I think at, like at the surface, he's talking about him being with the wildlings um, just north of the wall. Because if if we're considering it concurrent, relatively time wise, um, he, he's probably seeing John. North of the wall with the wild, surrounded by wildlings, which he would assume would be uh, enemies of the Night's Watch. Um, you know what I mean? So I think that I at know. the surface, I think that's what he's talking about. But there could be a like, like at least that's what the viewer is supposed to think, considering that's what we just saw. Like to us, to the viewer, north of the wall is the wrong side of the wall, especially for Night's Watchmen. Um, to, to the viewer, wildlings yeah, are the enemy. Yeah, but not for Jon Snow. Not right. if his whole mission was to unite the wildlings with... Um, with the people of Westeros. Jojen may which, not have that context, though. So just from Jojen's perspective, it could be he could be like seeing it from the, the way that the viewer would uh, look at it. If we just saw John uh, without context, north of the wall, surrounded by wildlings, getting ready to climb. But yeah, there's definitely num- a number of ways it could be interpreted. Yeah, but Ygritte is not his enemy. Tormund but, uh, is not jo- his enemy. Jojen doesn't know that. I think he does. Think so? He he knows he's charged to take Bran to be the three-eyed raven. He knows that. He knows exactly where he's supposed to go. He knows who Bran is, and he probably saw that in a vision in oh, the future. So, so, in the, so, so Jojen could have seen a vision of the future with Jon working together is with what I'm them. saying. Yeah, yeah, that's totally possible. Absolutely. I don't know. I just thought that it was kind of an obscure vision to Let tell us, Bran, uh, like, Sorry. No, that's okay. What were you going to say? I was just going to say to the audience, uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. I'd love to hear the way you guys interpret this scene. How did you interpret Jojen's vision? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my number four, though. I told you, I have very little ones this week. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> my number four is also one of my favorite moments of the series i don't know why i just love it um it's thoros the failed red priest oh he had such a good episode this week i totally right? agree i was banging yeah. on my desk if anybody heard that <laughs> yeah I, I did hear that <laughs> that's awesome yeah i love thoros uh especially like season three thoros is really fucking cool so it starts off with Arya, who's practicing um her bowmanship or bowwomanship with angai and it's a callback to season one, episode one, I believe, where they're at Winterfell and Bran is trying to shoot and she like outshoots Bran. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's telling her that she's like she's not as good as she thinks she is and all this stuff. And he won't be fighting straw men, little lady, as she's confidently hitting targets that aren't moving, <laughs> which is great. Um, gives her tips and helps her improve her skills and like. It's so funny. It's at every step of the journey, Arya is learning combat tips. Right. You know, whether from it's so many different walks of life. And- yeah, from everybody. It's great. John gives her a sword. Sirio teaches her how to use it. She's, you know, shooting shooting bows Arrows. at the beginning too. Uh, and then Angai teaching her archery. We got she definitely learned some stuff from Jockin. The hound gives her some oh, yeah, real, hound. Lots real of, lessons. Lots of stuff from the hound. Um the yeah. waif. Yeah, it's just crazy. Her whole story arc is just all becoming the ultimate warrior, basically. So that's fucking cool. So um, I I thought it was interesting too. never hold. But but I have to aim. Never aim. 
Never aim. <laughs> your, eye, <laughs> your eye knows where the arrow wants to go, <laughs> where it wants the arrow to go. Trust your eye. So I thought that was cool. Um, and, and trust your eye. That could also foreshadow Arya trusting, you know, her interpretation of Melisandre. She sees her and has a bad feeling. You know, yeah. So it could be um, some trust your feelings, trust your gut. So it's cool. You know um, them to be true. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's when Melisandre arrives. Um, we come as friends. And, and someone has a great line, begging your pardon, milady, but we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> that was a good line. <laughs> and then she sees Thoros Valor Magulis, Valor Doharis. And we learn as they speak, what language is that? Is it Valyrian? High or is Valyrian. It, okay, I wasn't sure. It sounds it's like first, it. But. It's the first time that High Valyrian had been used in the show. Up until then, it was only Low Valyrian. Oh, except for like Daenerys's couple like little lines when she was in low uh, Valyrian. Oh, really? She wasn't even speaking mm-hmm. high Valyrian at that point. Uh, uh-uh. uh, she was speaking the commoners Valyrian. Oh, interesting. That's funny. Um, cool. Good to know. So, uh, yeah, we learn as they're speaking high Valyrian, and everybody's like, "Uh, what the fuck is going on here?" And you know, Arya and Angai, uh-huh. everybody's looking around like, "Uh oh, this is weird." And uh, we learned that Thoros had had a mission from the High Priestess um, to turn King Robert from the Light of the Seven to the Lord of Light, mm-hmm. which is pretty hardcore. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. So he was on a secret mission. We know they were drinking buddies. So like he had every ample every opportunity to try, but <laughs> Robert is not so easily convinced of things. <laughs> you know, even his own small council couldn't keep him in line. Right, so no chance from a, a priest from some fucking religion that Robert doesn't believe in. Goes, Fuck off, Thoros. Give me another beer. You know, yeah. <laughs> shut up with the Lord of Light. <laughs> I loved it when um, when Thoros just looks at Melisandre. He's like, I failed. Yeah, yeah he's just like, like that's it. He's like, yeah, I failed. Clearly, I failed. Clearly. Look where I am. So great. He's dead. <laughs> I failed. He's yeah. And he kind of like smirks when he says it too a little. Um. But he, you know, he goes on and, uh, oh yeah, he says, yeah, they do clarify. My friends here don't speak high Valyrian. I'm totally spaced on that. I was probably taking notes. I loved I'm, that. I see it now in my, in my, uh, stuff here. So he, uh, yeah, he's like, why are you here, my lady? And did, you know, forgive my manners. Uh, I don't see many ladies these days, but I, I thought it was cool. You know, he, he gets her to speak English so everybody can understand. Cause it's not cool when you're speaking another language in front of people and people are like, what the fuck, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so they go into the cave and Melisandre is looking over Beric Dondarrion, examining his eye, examining his chest, looking at all his different wounds, and she is fucking blown away. And she's like, what the fuck? Uh, how many times has the Lord brought him back? Thoris is like six. And she is fucking shocked. And she's like, this shouldn't be possible. And, and you know, like, uh, I've never seen this happen. And you, out of everybody, <laughs> like you. <laughs> and it's like, he goes down to this monologue, which is just great. How about how he's always been a terrible priest. He drank too much. He fucked all the whores. It's a terrible thing to say. But by the time he came to Westeros, he didn't even believe in the Lord of Light. Um he decided that gods, that all the gods were stories that the children, you know, people told children to make them behave, essentially. So he wore the, ro- wore the robes, recited the prayers, but it was just for show, a spectacle for the locals, until the mountain drove a lance through his best friend's heart. Right. And right. what a heartbreaking <laughs> moment of, and like, just crazy transition of, like, 
where you're absolutely lost and have no faith and then you like as a hail mary and like like you know they say there's no atheists in foxholes you ever hear that that uh yep. yeah <laughs> so uh like in a hail mary when all is lost he calls to his his god his lord of light and uh is astonished when <laughs> when he responds like what the fuck and he's he's what does he say I knelt beside his cold body and said the old words, not because I believed in them, but because but he was because my friend. Because he was my friend. Yeah, it's such like a powerful moment. My friend moment. was dead. He was dead. They were, and they were the only words I knew. For the first time in my life, the Lord replied. Barak's eyes opened, and I knew the truth. Our God is the one true God, and all men must serve Him. And I was just like. Damn, this is fucking nuts. Yeah, like, Thoros is a so great cool. character. Yeah, just like, yeah, he's a really cool character. And it foreshadows, um, obviously, as we know, Melisandre's uh, crisis of faith that she experiences immediately prior to uh, attempting to revive Jon Snow. So uh, they both are have lost faith, essentially, and do a Hail Mary to try to save somebody that they think is worth it, you know, and uh, they're they're both responded to in kind by the Lord of Light, where it seems mm. it seems like some time passed before John revived was revived. So I don't know if it was the Lord of Light or if it was Melisandre or what. I mean, it could have been, but uh, we don't know. It was left ambiguous, seemingly to me. Um, so uh, she she goes back over to um, get to Beric and she's like, you've been to the other side. And he's like, the other side? There is no other side. I've been to the darkness, my lady. And that is fucking creepy, one. Uh, but it's also pretty much the same thing that Jon Snow says when she revives him. And she's like, what did you see? What, what was there? What was the other side like? And he's like, nothing. Just darkness, right? Yeah, but I think that that's just because they weren't done. You can't cross over if you're not done. If the Lord of Light is not done with you in this in this you know universe, oh. then why would you go to the other side? You'd yeah, be in a holding pattern. That's entirely possible too. I hadn't considered that, like in purgatory or some shit, just in darkness. Or, yeah, waiting just to be waiting, back. waiting for yeah. somebody to just show up and say the words. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. It's an interesting thought. So. Uh, <laughs> Mel Melisandre is probably frightened by that revelation by Beric because I don't know if she had considered the option that you just uh, laid out, but she was probably like, oh, what the fuck? You know, like mm -hmm. everything that she thought may have just been like overturned slightly in her head. Right. So uh, Thoros says to Melisandre, he says, he sent you to us for a reason. And uh, she replies, you have someone he needs. And then it cuts to Gendry and we uh, like do that whole thing over there where he gets snatched up and I liked how Arya stuck up for him you know he wants to join he wants to be one of you stop stop them you know tell them to stop Arya is gonna step up for what she thinks is right no matter what you know I like that I just can't wait for Arya to see Jon Snow coming back with Beric Dondarrion and all these people it's good that Thoros is dead to tell you the truth because like if Thoros and Melisandre were to show up at Winterfell in season 8 it'd be a problem for Arya <laughs> it would be a big problem yeah quite possibly <laughs> oh man that's funny she's gonna be like John oh and I know you and I know you and I know you the hound fucking she's like wow I hate Derek. all of you yeah the hound Beric Dondarrion Whoa. I mean he's coming back with everybody that's wronged her <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean you know wronged but also righted like like the hound kind of like kidnapped her sort of but he was trying to save her 
the same way that uh, he wanted to save Sansa. Like, uh, it would have benefited him, but it was mutually beneficial as well. Right. Well, the Hound isn't on her list anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good point. And and the same with uh, with the Lord of Light guys with the Brotherhood Without Banners. Like, they did try to deliver her to uh, to relatives and whatnot. That was the goal to bring her to safety. But it was also for you know for their own benefit as well. So it was mutually beneficial in both ways. I feel like she may be open to forgiving all those people and uh, you know working together with them for the for the greater cause. I would personally probably. Probably for her brother more yeah. than the greater good. Yeah, that too as well. And I feel or like her uh, cousin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was like her cousin. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> to Aegon. <laughs> so yeah, she sees uh, sees Melisandre approaching as Gendry is being taken away or about to, and she's like, "I don't like that woman." And is that one of your points? Should we talk about that later, or should we just talk about it now since it's like sort of connected to the Thoros thing? No, no, yeah, we could talk about that. That's not my top five. Okay, cool. So, yeah, as Gendry's about to be taken away, Arya sees Melisandre, and she's like, I don't like her. And then when Melisandre finally arrives and sees Arya, um, she, Melisandre, Arya says to Melisandre, you're a witch! You're going to hurt him! And she is taken aback as she sees Arya, and she goes over, and does she, like, physically grab her face and look her yes. in the eye? Yeah, and she's like, I see a darkness in you. And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, blue eyes, mm-hmm. green eyes. Eyes you'll shut forever. We'll meet again. It's so fucking creepy, man. So that's going to be cool to see them meeting again. It was creepy at the time, but I thought it was really cool. Oh, yeah. Super you cool. You know, the second, <laughs> third, fourth, fifth time. That's just so cool. It's you so know? cool. Cause, Absolutely. Because now you think, okay, so now I've seen all of season seven as I'm doing this rewatch, and I know that Melisandre has to die in this foreign land of Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Melisandre seems visibly shaken uh, by Arya's presence. Yeah. Um, she knows that she's going to be a faceless man. Oh my um, God. Do you think Arya, do you think she knows that Arya is going to kill her at that moment? I think so. That's why uh, she's so shaken up. That's why it's so I, significant. I think so. I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean, that's kind of where my brain went when I was that's, watching That's it. totally possible because she is obviously has seen tons of visions of the future. She knows she's going to die in Westeros. She mm-hmm. may recognize Arya from a vision and be like, oh my God, it's her. Oh my right. God, it's her. Like, holy fuck. That's crazy. That's cool. Um, so yeah, yeah that see, pretty much jam-packed episode, not jam-packed. boring people. So much going on here. <laughs> yeah, so that that wraps up my number four is the uh, the Thoros failed Thoros Red Priest and um, just like yeah, Did, this stuff in that scene in general. So, okay, I have a question about Thoros real quick. Yeah, this was the first time, and you know, people can you know punch me all they want, but this was the first time I noticed that Thoros wears red. That that what? That Thoros wears red. Oh. He's always been super dirty or in the dark. <laughs> it's like uh, he so, wears his red, but it's all like tattered and stuff, right? Yeah, it's like a really dark color, but he's wearing red. Interesting. So he's, you know, he's That's, donned on his red priest, you know, That must be how garb. Melisandre recognized him. Well, they probably know each other, too. Who knows how old Thoros really is? Oh, yeah. oh at this point, yeah, that makes sense that he's wearing red because his faith is totally renewed, right? Right, yeah. right. <clears throat> so that's cool, yeah. Good good catch there. I but, just thought it was fun. What's your so number three? That was three? a great number four. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's just a great scene, you know? My number three 
Um, I have like all of these, all of these like possibles. Um, well, we could talk about the title for a second. Um, I want to talk about Varys and Littlefinger like later. Okay. But the episode of the climb kind of goes into Littlefinger a little bit. Um, so I, I, I'll try not to touch on it too much because I'm sure that we both have a lot to say about that last scene anyways. Sure. Um, but, um, oh my gosh, my phone. Um, so the climb, you know, I, I love the fact that it's both the physical, actual, literal climb up the wall, which the casual viewer will see as, you know, oh, okay, yeah, the climb, the one yeah. where they climb the wall. And then there's the ladder climb, right? Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. Gosh, what a great speech that is. Right. But if you take it and you kind of pull back a little bit from even what Littlefinger is saying, you see that everybody is trying to climb up this ladder. Everybody's yeah. trying to climb through the chaos. You've got Olena and Tywin working overtime to climb through the chaos. Yep. You know, you've got... Um, uh, well, now you have Sansa trying to figure out her life has just become chaos and she doesn't really know how to climb out of it herself. <laughs> You've got Gendry who and Arya who their whole life has become chaos, right? And what's going to happen with them? Arya continues to climb up her own ladder, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the moment Ned died until right now and even beyond until we see her in season seven. I think Season seven, we've seen we we see Arya as probably as skilled and as trained as she's going to be, and now it's just payoff. Do yeah, you think, I think you're do right. Do you think that? Yeah, I think so. I think season eight's gonna be fucking hardcore. Well, I think like when she fought with Brienne, I think we could probably say, okay, yeah, this <laughs> she's is awesome. Yeah, like, yeah. her training can, is done. <laughs> she's done it. Good yeah. job. <laughs> anybody who can even remotely keep up with Brienne, let alone like fling their dagger, flipping it from hand to hand, and catch her with mm-hmm. like a right in the neck, uh, yeah, she's she's on that level now, apparently. And then you see, um, and then you see what's going on at River Run, and you see that the Freys are making their moves. Right to climb up their own ladder, you know. Yep. Rob, they want Rob has Hall. re. Oh, are they at Harrenhal? Golly, they, oh, they, 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 they want Harrenhal. I don't think they're at Harrenhal, but the the phrase said along with uh, the marriage proposal for Edmure, they want Harrenhal. No, 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 they're not at Harrenhal yeah, because yeah, Bruce Bolton is at Har- Harrenhal right now. Yeah, yeah, they're not at Harrenhal. Okay, um, I was like, did I miss? <laughs> They want it though. They right. he's like, remember Heron Hall's we we're fighting for the North. Heron Hall's not part of the North. Fine, you can have it. Once well, it's that all really done. just proves how stupid the phrase are. <laughs> we want we want this ridiculous castle that nobody wants and that you have no authority over and, and you're gonna give it to us. And that's totally destroyed and cursed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Another cursed family. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess when Rob gives them Heron Hall at this moment, like says when it, when it's when it's all said and done, you can have it. Maybe that includes them into the Heron Hall curse at this point. And fine by me. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know it pays off when Arya fucking wipes out their whole family, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Dave was funny when we were watching this episode. He goes, "Are those the meat pie phrase?" <laughs> yes, they are. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's fucking hilarious. I said, those are the ones that eat, that get eaten. Pies. <laughs> They're a delicious feast. Black Walder or whatever. And, oh my God, that's so funny. I like that. That's great. High five, Dave. I like that. I know. He makes great comments. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, 
Okay. So anyways, I just thought that if you take, I mean, we all know that the episode is directly linked to Littlefinger's speech and to John and Egret and Tormund's climb. Uh, but it's also kind of a running theme throughout the entire episode of each character trying to climb up their own ladder, evolve in their own way, uh, get to where they want to get. You know, Rob wants to win the war. He's making steps that he thinks are going to ensure that, you know, Arya yeah. wants to learn how to fight and kill people on her list. And, you know, she's taking any opportunity she can to learn uh, in that way, Melisandre is trying to get Stannis to be the one true king, and she's making her own moves to try and climb up her own ladder. Then you've got Littlefinger and Varys doing their own business. Um, you know, Ty- Tywin and Elena are <laughs> are their own their own number in tonight's episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, so I, I don't know. I just thought it was worth mentioning. That was fucking rad. I, I hadn't even like considered it, and like such a scale as that like all the different ladders and all the different climbs that are occurring by everybody so crazy and bran is like metaphorically climbing the latitude as he goes north <laughs> yeah. oh that's true huh uh, or, is that. That, or is that longitude um i can't remember <laughs> but yeah that's well, that's cool man and he doesn't even know what he's doing because he's just <laughs> too busy trying to keep the, his two women apart from each other yeah like, hey, hey, there's enough brand to go around, all right? Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, there's so, what so was many your brands. number three? My number three is the Olena and Tywin scene. So let's collaborate oh, on yeah. that. Um, <laughs> impossible. Why? My grandson is the pride of Highgarden, <laughs> the most <laughs> desirable bachelor in all the Seven Kingdoms. Your daughter is rich, the most beautiful woman in all Seven Kingdoms, and the old. mother of the king. <laughs> old. I love old. the way she said old. Old. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking great. She's like, I'm something of an expert on the subject. <laughs> oh my god, her change will be upon her before long. Oh, it's, it's so fucking funny. I'll spare you the details of what will happen then, but you you men may have a stomach for bloodshed and slaughter, but this is an entirely different matter. And oh, and yes, like, it is. He's like, yeah, my stomach remains quite strong, but the only thing that might turn it are the details of your grandson's nocturnal activities. <laughs> Do you deny them? Oh, no, not at all. A sword swallower he's a through sword and through. <laughs> through and through. <laughs> oh, my God. She's so, like, blunt about it. Seriously, this is one of the best scenes ever. It really is. Yeah. In television. It's, I just, the two of them, I wish that there was more of them. How could you possibly beat the combination of Diana Rigg and Charles Dance? Could you imagine, though, if Tywin and Olena ever got together? Yeah, like they could have married like themselves. Like if that was the union? Yeah, they, they got married themselves. That would have been fucking oh, hilarious. They would rule. They would, the Night King would bend the knee. They'd hate fuck the shit out of each other. <laughs> just saying <laughs> you know what I mean right is that too much yeah, should I include sorry. that or not no that just that toy <laughs> I liked that <laughs> it would you know somebody's gonna break a hip one of, one of those <laughs> oh my god so yeah I just yeah so funny There's so many little great lines the sword swallower one was just priceless i um, love it when she says as an authority on myself i have to disagree yeah yeah exactly like yeah you know i, I totally sympathize with that line um she, they she they go on and they're they're talking about these marriage deals and everything and 
eventually, um, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, she she goes on, and I wanted to mention that she she's like, you did you grow up with boy cousins, Lord Tywin? Some of your father's bannermen, squires, stable boys, of course, and you never. No, not once, not in any way, never. I congratulate you upon your restraint. But when I heard that, I heard restraint implies initial interest, and I don't get the vibe that Tywin had any initial interest, so I don't think any restraint came into the play there. Just a little um, uh, technical thing I wanted to mention. That restraint may not apply. You know, unless there's rumors of Tywin that he prefers to remain buried. I mean, we know nothing about Tywin, really. We know about later years Tywin. Oh, well, yeah, if, if in show context, yeah, we really don't know much about him at all, huh? I mean, in book context, I guess we do know more about him. But mm-hmm. really, there's a lot of um, ambiguity and vagueness to a lot of history as well. Definitely. Uh, absolutely, but but one thing that I did get a firm. I'm not impression saying everybody of, uh, in Westeros is gay. By no, the no. Way. <laughs> <laughs> I did get the impression that Tywin really, really was like head over heels in love with his cousin Joanna, the mother of his children, though, and like she was the only thing that like made him smile. And after she died, it was like hardcore yeah. Tywin was just permanent, you know. And you know, Lady Olena probably was just trying to get under his skin. Oh and yeah, trying to get a rise out of him. Absolutely, I think you're right. That's probably what that was all about. She's just She's taunting the him. Best, yeah. She's she knows exactly how to taunt everybody. She even threw Varys off of his game. <laughs> yeah, I think she throws everybody off their game. She throws Brienne off her game by giving her a compliment, like a legitimate compliment. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Brienne is like totally blown away by that. I can't wait for that. That's one of my favorite moments too. And um and also when oh shoot oh when she talks to Daenerys later and she's like and she's like be oh, a dragon yeah, be you're a dragon, dragon right be yeah. a fucking dragon you yep. know oh I miss her <clears throat> me too it's definitely sad that she had to go very sad but it was a great death it's really cool one of the best yeah that confession is oh man badass character deserves a badass death just like (laughs) Tywin Lannister right yeah so she goes on saying it's natural for two boys to have a go at each other beneath the sheets (laughs) and and he's like well perhaps Highgarden has a high tolerance for unnatural behavior he immediately contradicts that saying it's unnatural and then she says true we don't tie ourselves in knots over a bit of discreet buggery but brothers and sisters i know <laughs> where i come gosh. from that ref- that stain would be very hard to, def- to wash out it's like i will not breathe further life into a malicious lie by discussing it and she had that chambered yeah and she you know she says like whether or not it's true you got to admit people are convinced by it and so like it's the same thing like whether or not you believe in god you got to <laughs> understand that people are going to kill for god you know or like do stuff in the name of god people are influenced by religion and people are influenced by propaganda and you know whether or not it's true like people are going to think stuff is true you know (laughs) well and and she she makes a good point she says she goes listen they're so convinced that they're putting swords in their hands and they're willing to die over it right like religious conquests same type of thing you got soldiers of god like same with the and for example the uh in the in game of thrones what are they the um the the uh, in faith militant faith militant yeah there you go You're just welcome. like that thanks yeah <laughs> <laughs> you complete me um, I do <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah, that's when she says, as an authority on myself, I must disagree. I must disagree, which is a great line. But then that's when the I'm going to keep that for future arguments in <laughs> yes. my life. Do it, do as it, do it. As an authority on myself, I have to disagree. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> Yeah. How, how can anybody argue me. with that? You know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> so this is when like the big guns get busted out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> she's like, uh, "Now, if rumors about oh, he says now if rumors about my children were true, then Joffrey is no king at all, and House Tyrell would be throwing its prized flower into the dirt." And she says, "And if Cersei is too old to give Loras children, we're throwing another prized flower into the dirt. It's a chance we simply cannot take." The certainty, the uncertainty makes you uncomfortable. All right, I'll remove it for you. <laughs> if you refuse to marry Loras to Cersei, I will name him to the King's Guard. I'm sure you're familiar with the King's Guard vows. He'll never marry. He will never have children. Oh, the Tyrell name will fade, and High Garden will go to the children of Joffrey and Marjorie. And this is fucking wild because. This is something that Tywin is all too familiar with himself, this form of punishment. He had a spat with with Mad King Ares, and Ares was not stoked with Tywin, and he named Jaime his heir, the, 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 the heir apparent to Casterly Rock. He named him to the Kingsguard, leaving, leaving Tywin with just a twisted dwarf to inherit the, his, his home. And he knew that this was a huge blow to House Lannister and to Tywin, who's like the most pride-filled guy on earth so this is really low for tywin to be willing to inflict this on another house after such torture that it's caused him having his son appointed to the king's guard so it shows you what depths tywin will sink to to accomplish whatever his goal is at any given moment yeah whether it's destroying a whole family by trapping them inside mines and diverting the tumble stone river over the mines and drowning them all or whether it's by eliminating their line by by appointing their their only male heir to the king's guard and de facto bringing their castle under the control of his grandson's kids. You know what I mean? Like, God damn, Tywin is so fucking hardcore. Yeah, he's pretty terrible. He's ruthless. He is so ruthless. Oh, she's, she says, you would have your grandson protected by someone who disgusts you? And he says, I would have my grandson protected by a skilled warrior who takes his vows seriously. You know, playing like the politics there, like... PC type stuff like well and he also understands that you know Loris is not he's not like some fool with a sword I mean yeah, he's he, highly accomplished it's, it's true he, yeah, won, like, yeah. he won the hands tournament just a few years back yeah and it's it also helps him it's it's a cover for Tywin so it won't be seen as purely a political move you right, know what I mean right. so he's like playing the politics like oh well I'd have my grandson protected by a skilled warrior you know <laughs> she's like fuck he's got me <laughs> I'd, I'd better I'd, I'd like it if my grandson would die personally but you know we can't have everything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so shall I draw up the order or do you consent to this marriage then Elena has the best line in the scene which is? It's a rare enough thing to have a man live up to his reputation. Yep, and she was so disappointed by Tyrion just so recently that he was Anne not... Varys. <laughs> oh, and Varys too? I, yeah, I remember. remember she said, hey, uh, you know, why are you walking away? I thought you were some kind of force to be reckoned with, you know? <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. So finally, somebody lives up to the image with with uh, of, of that they you know, their reputation portrays. And Olena is cowed by Tywin Lannister. 
bam, you've got to be real strong to cow Lady Elena, you know? <laughs> well, they're both old school. Super, I mean, how yeah. many elderly people do we see in Westeros? Like none. It's yeah, we see Maester Aemon, Walder Frey, um, and yeah, Baylon Greyjoy. Yeah, we. I mean, and, and it's 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 worth mentioning too that they portray people in the TV show a lot older than they are in the in the in the books. Like um, Ned Stark, for instance, is thirty five on on the on in the books, and he's like got to be like fifty on the show, right? Right. So everybody's aged up on the show to make it seem more realistic for or like or relatable to our society. Well, nobody um, wants to see any of the Stark children 10 years younger with everything that they've all been through. Like, nobody <laughs> wants yeah, to yeah, see yeah. that. They didn't have Especially to. Especially like, Sansa. Yeah. But they chose to to age up other people as well, you know, which is interesting. Interesting decision. But yeah, people definitely so, don't live to be super old in Westeros generally. So good point. <laughs> well, I was just thinking like, I mean, they they. You know, you, you they're probably hardened and weathered with their own experience that not a lot of like probably 80 percent of the people that are in power right now have. <laughs> well, I he's mean, definitely Tywin hardened. and Elena have the experience. Yeah, definitely. They have lots of experience. And he, by that experience, is definitely hardened and she is definitely weathered. <laughs> I, yes. I'm sorry, Diana Rigg. You're, you, <laughs> you're lovely. I don't mean to insult your looks. She is lovely. But you know what? I get what you're saying. And she'd probably take that as a compliment because it means that she played her part perfectly. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's a amazing and she was and a diana rick if you're really listening to us um we love you yeah love you and you were a fox you've made our year <laughs> hashtag diana rig please discover podcasts right now oh man that'd be a cool special guest to have huh oh my gosh i i would be tongue we should try to do that we should try to get diana rig on the show yeah okay she's not like I'll... super busy or anything i don't think right maybe she well, is she who knows be. yeah she might be. What? I don't know how old she, she is. Probably, She's like 80. Hopefully she doesn't need to be super busy. I mean, she was, you know, a Bond girl and everything, right? So hopefully she's got enough money so she doesn't have to be busy. But if she chooses to be busy, that's good for her. Um, oh, I love her. Yeah, she's awesome. She's just fantastic. Her. One of the top, top characters in the show and easily one of the like most powerful performers. So definitely. So that, that wraps up my number, uh, my number three. You want to add anything to that? About that whole scene? <sighs> I, you know what? I don't. I do have, mm, we can save that for the note section. Because I've got like asides, right? From everything that's happening. Oh, yeah? Um, you know what I mean? But sure. this, I, but I think that that was good. Good enough. Oh, right. So, um, since that was one of mine, we'll call that my number three, four, two. My number two. <laughs> um, okay, so I do. Okay, so I'm going to piggyback on this for my number two. All right. Um, instead of having it be Tywin and Elena, since we did that, I'm going to kind of extend out into <clears throat> King's Landing a little bit. I want to talk about Sir, uh, just the Lannisters as kind of a whole right now. Um, All right. Because I thought that we got this really great scene from Cersei and Tywin, or Tyrion. Yeah, a really good um, scene between them. Anytime that they're together and that they're alone, I feel that they really act like brother and sister a lot more when no one's looking. Um, yeah, definitely. Especially this scene. This was one of the top ones, I'd say. Well, I mean, even and, and you can even go back to right before Blackwater when Cersei and uh, Tyrion were together and she was um, 
you know, really honest with him about her relationship with Jamie and her fears for Joffrey. Yeah. And, and she's, um, she mentions it again this week, too. She uh, she basically admits to the incest again by saying, yeah, when Jamie gets home, uh, Loras might come up with a case of come down with a case of sword through bowels. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so she, right. But she also she doesn't want to tell she also doesn't want to tell Tyrion that it was her son that planned his death. Or ordered his death. Right. And he said, am I out of danger? And she said, probably not. Yeah, she's always hesitant to out Joffrey. It was the same thing when he ordered the bastards to be murdered, right? Right. But yeah. she she can't control him, right? She knows she can't control him. She's a little scared of him. And she's funny because she says, you know, oh, uh, Joffrey won't try anything now that father's here. And you kind of smash cut to the end of this episode where it's very clear that nobody is actually thinking about who is really the king. You know, Tywin's making all of these backroom deals and he's, you know, making marriages and trying to forge power or whatever. Nobody has their eyes on the monster that is Joffrey Baratheon. Yeah, Caligula right? who's crossbowing hookers in his chambers. Right. I mean, this... This is really this is really interesting because I think both Tywin and Cersei have both underestimated their what Tywin's control over <clears throat> Joffrey was going to be. I agree. Even with even with Tywin there as hand, Joffrey is still killing Roz for pleasure and Littlefinger orchestrates this all before he leaves. So Littlefinger is like I'm just going to like throw one last bit of crazy yeah, into yeah. the mix He's before like, I sail off. Wow, that's a great point. He's like, I'm just going to enable Joffrey to do something new and crazy that he's never done before just to make him all the more insane and see what happens if, like, after that. <laughs> right. That's fucking right. wild. And so, and so, you know, remember a few weeks back, you know, Cersei's like, you try controlling him, you know? And Tywin's like, I will control him. Okay, well, you're not really doing it. Do job. or do not. There is no try. You know, well, <laughs> he he didn't listen to Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. So, you know, you have all of these adults. You know, you have Tywin and Elena. You have uh, Cersei and Tyrion and um, even to an extent Marjorie and Loras, right? Everybody's working really hard to get their piece of the pie and to ensure their own survival in the realm. But what everybody has kind of forgotten about is that there is a crazy person on the Iron Throne. <laughs> and Littlefinger yeah. has been serving him pieces of candy <laughs> yeah, when nobody's candy. looking. Pieces of crazy you know candy. Not just candy, he's crazy like, candy. <laughs> he's like, here, oh, you have a new crossbow? Here's a whore. Let's see what happens. Right? You ever try putting together a whore and crossbow? Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I welcome the thought. You've got a whore, you've got a crossbow. Try them together. See how it works. <laughs> and, yeah, and I mean, you know, Littlefinger's just like pimping pimping out his whores for death. I mean, it's just, it's gross. Yeah. And, and it's not until I think it's too late that probably Tywin realizes that he has no control over a new mad king. It's a yeah. mad boy king, right? Yeah, And the totally. last time he was hand, it was for a mad king. Because I think Tywin, and I'm thinking about this right now, Tywin is so consumed with his own power and his own legacy and his own self, self-fulfilling prophecies that he doesn't see that the person he's supposed to be serving is left without um, a leash 
Right. And they're crazy. Or right? he does also doesn't see that his kids are fucking each other. Um, you know, all kinds of other stuff oh, that he doesn't see. Anything. see. He yeah. doesn't see any of it. <laughs> that pretty much sums up Tywin. He's so focused on his legacy. He's missing all the individual stuff that's happening. Like, he's missing why his legacy isn't going to be uh, anything. And that, that, um, solidifies what I had said before that he's all about collectivism which is the the whole as opposed to paying attention to the individuals um, individualism so yeah that just reinforces that whole message good good call on that it's so funny yeah so I guess that's my number two. Oh right nice one what's your number one my number two Wait, your number two. First. <laughs> My number two uh, sort of expands on that. You, um, oh, cool. We can go even further. <laughs> uh, actually, Which maybe, I like. maybe not. Oh, wait. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, it's it's Sansa, Sansa and Loras and the marriage dilemmas. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was such an awkward scene. <laughs> I feel so bad for Sansa because she's the only person on the planet who like is incapable of seeing that Sir Loras is so very obviously very gay. Like every or at single... the very least, not interested in her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say that, but I think every single line that he has in the scene is like astronomically gay, right? <laughs> Starts off, that's a wonderful stereotypically pin. gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stereotypically, I should say, yeah. Um, that's a wonderful pin. Oh, it's it's more of a brooch, really. <laughs> he's like particular I like it that about... he's thinking about it afterwards. He goes, although well, huh, I suppose yeah, brooch yeah. could be a pin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, do you ever watch Friends? Uh, I I've seen it, but I, I haven't seen it in forever. It's a good show. There's though. this super awkward scene between Ross and Mike Canigan where they don't know what to talk about, and it's super awkward because it's just the two of them, and they're talking about the differences between a beer and a lager. Mm. A, an ale in a lager and they're like we could look it up oh, lagers are <laughs> and, cold brewed and uh well and you know paul rudd who plays mike is just like things are getting wild <laughs> like it's just it just <laughs> reminded paul me rudd, of that man that guy is so funny he's great yeah, on friends yeah, yeah. if you ever want to see it he was on but. friends i don't even remember that Oh, I've seen Friends hundreds and hundreds of times. <laughs> I could replay episodes in my head, word for word, scene <laughs> by scene. actually watching it. It's pathetic. Head movies make my eyes rain. It's pathetic. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. So he's like, that's more of a brooch, really. You know, like, pretty gay. <laughs> to, put, to point out, you know. Right, you know. And then she's like, I'm very happy about... Uh, I'm very happy about... And he's, like, insinuating the marriage. And he's like, uh... Uh, yes, uh, yeah, I, I am as well. Uh, I, f- I feel like I feel like I'm in a dream. Yes, yes me too. A dream. Definitely more <laughs> of like a nightmare for him. Not a waking nightmare. No, yeah. not that. And then he goes on to like show how like like typically, you know, it's the woman who dreams about a wedding their whole life. He's like, I've dreamed of a large wedding since I was quite young. The guests, the food, the tournaments. And she's like, oh, just like me, you know, <laughs> not realizing that, yeah, like, just like you, like, he likes guys, you know, and <laughs> yeah, but she realizes that he's not thinking about his bride, right? Yeah, yeah. She's waiting for him yeah, to say, and you. It's so funny. Yeah. That just like rubs it in even further. Oh, and, and the bride, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's what I usually think of as the bride, you know, <laughs> he like tries to cover it like so funny. And then he goes like I think on. think about what you're going to win. Yeah, the most beautiful bride. Once he thinks about the bride, then he's like, what he's really thinking about is the fashion. 
the most beautiful bride in the world in the most beautiful gown of golden green brocade with fringed sleeves. Ah, you know, like gayest ever. And she was excited because she's like, oh, he's interested in <laughs> Yeah, and I, don't get me wrong, everybody. There's nothing wrong with being gay at all. Um, but it's just so sad that Sansa just can't see it. You know, everybody sees it except Sansa. He's called a sword swallower in this episode. <laughs> like, so some by his people own grandmother. just don't have gaydar. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah. think. Right. I mean, must, yeah. you, you have to kind of maybe develop it. I'm not sure. I grew up in the theater. Um, so, you know, it is I, it's normal to me. <laughs> I don't care either way. It is what it is. Right. But yeah, I mean, some people are just oblivious to it. Like my um, my dad is one of them who's just oblivious to it. I'm like, Dad, that guy is gay. <laughs> He's like, what? Huh? I'm like, yeah. I know. Weird, right? People are gay. <laughs> so funny, man. It's great. So, you know, I mean, it happens. Similar type thing with uh, with, with um, Renly, I believe, too, where he would prance about in his fashionable clothes. And some people, like, it was obvious to a lot of people that he was gay, but some people just didn't get it, I feel like. Uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, um, I did like, though, that they had common ground with each other. They Oh, yeah. They, they both, both hate King's hate Landing. King's Landing. Yeah. It's a good starting point for like developing a relationship, you know? But both of their eyes kind of lit up. It was the first thing that they could really talk about without being awkward or shy or anything. Like they're both like, yes, yes, this place it's is terrible. terrible. Let's talk about that. <laughs> the most terrible place there is. <laughs> yeah, good point. So that was that was cute. Nice to see them sort of relate there. Uh, sad knowing that it's going to be ripped up, ripped out from underneath both of them. I'm sure mm-hmm. Loris would probably rather marry be married to Sansa than Cersei, you know? At least the company would be pleasant. <laughs> well, he could do whatever he wanted too. Yeah, true. Without a fear without fear of being killed. <laughs> yeah. And we do know that he does end up on the King's Guard, so damn. Ruthless. Um so then we we get that whole thing where they're you know talking about the marriage and everything, and then Tyrion and Cersei are talking about the marriages, and they're like, "Who's gonna break it to Sansa?" Basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so fucked up. I thought he had a funny line to um, when he was asking about the um, if if uh, if Cersei tried to have him killed, you know, and she's like hesitant to out Joffrey, but he, he, Tyrion has a great line. He's like, "He's like, um, what was it?" She says, "Whether uh, I, I'm." I did what I did to protect our family. I'm your family. Oh, no, she says, I did what I did to protect your family. She says, I'm your family, a member of your family who has actively contributed to that family's survival, whether or not you or father or anyone else wants to admit it. And she says, I do admit it. She gives it to him. Yeah. She gives him what he's been seeking now for six episodes. Yeah, so that was that was a good little moment where like, I was happy that she at least admitted that. Right. And she says, if it weren't for you and your trick with the wildfire, Stannis would have sacked the city before father got here. Our heads would still be rotting on city on the city gate. <laughs> so that's good that she realizes that at least um, one. She he gets one point at least <laughs> at least from her. And uh, he says, trying to have me killed is an odd way of saying thank you, <laughs> which is a funny <laughs> line. Uh, there are two people in the King's Landing who can give an order to the King's Guard. Did you or did you or did you not order Sir Marin to kill me during the Battle of Blackwater? And she doesn't answer, but she's like, Ugh, has like this look on her face, like, Ugh, which is pretty funny. She's like, funny. it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fucking great. <laughs> Butt naked, banging on the bathroom floor. 
uh, with Jamie. It was her. It was me. <laughs> uh, so then uh, she he goes on to say how stupid it was for the king to order the king's guard to kill the hand of the king right in front of the army. Um, which is you know, it's really dumb. Uh, they mentioned that. I was like, oh, yeah, that is kind of stupid. <laughs> Not that it really may matter. It just may make the army like stay further in line. Like, oh, yeah, the king will kill you if you cross him. He'll do it to the hand. He'll do it to you. Uh, so stay in line, little army ants. Do you think that Cersei really like actually maybe does care for Tyrion? I don't know. I think I only that, ask this because I because we know about her prophecy that we learn uh later. Um But so you think that she's scared he's the Valonqar, but aside from that, that she and she like has to make herself hate him to uh to make herself fight against him to distance prevent herself from him to, or to so. prevent it's, it's that stupid because she hates everybody and I'm sure that she actually hates him. But yeah. <laughs> there are times there are times where I think that she has a better relationship with him than she does Jamie. Hmm. You know, yeah, she has they have an honesty moments. with Tyrion that she doesn't have with anybody else. Yeah, they do have their moments. It's an interesting perspective to explore. We'll have to pay more attention, I think, to that concept. Um, I know it's just it's funny because I've raised I've raised this question in my brain a couple of times since we started our rewatch. Nice. Um, interesting. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, keep it in the back of your head. Yeah. Maybe maybe we figure it out. Maybe we don't. She she blames him. You know, one of the things that she keeps coming back to is you killed her mother, right? She has to know that's not his fault. She has to know it's unfair to blame him for that. So maybe she knows about the prophecy and she is coming up with reasons to hate him and uses that. Um, as one of them because she needs to hate him. Oh, that's interesting. She needs to hate him to keep him distant and to protect herself from the perceived threat that she finds in the prophecy, right? That's a great point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Welcome to your psychiatry lessons with Dr. Duncan. (laughs) An intern, Kristen. (laughs) No, no, no. Co-doctor. Co-doctor K. No, 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 no. I'll be be the intern. (laughs) Uh, You don't want to deal with their problems, huh? I really don't. <laughs> uh, that's classic. Uh, so, I don't want. I don't want to observe HIPAA. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hear that. Uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty cool. They uh, they're they're talking about this, all this stuff, the attempted assassination, etc. And then they get ta- talking about the marriages a bit, and um, Tyrion's like, uh, "Fuck, who's gonna break it to Sansa?" Right. Basically, who's going to tell her? I, it would have been great if they each put their hand, their fingers on their noses. <laughs> yeah. Not me. Not a, I don't play that game, just so you know. So don't ever try that around me. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people do it and I'm like, nope, it doesn't count because I don't play. Um, so I wasn't part of that. We do that in our house. <laughs> <laughs> who's picking up the dog poop? Not it. It's a perfectly great game. I've just never have been a player of it. Mostly because I don't want to be duped into doing stuff i guess you're like mostly because i'm usually not paying attention so i probably (laughs) always lose (laughs) yeah 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 that's probably exactly what it is (laughs) welcome to your psychiatry lessons with dr k (laughs) 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 so uh it's it's so funny Tyrion shows up to uh to see sansa right 
and he's trying to break the, the bad news to Sansa that your your wedding with Loras that you're so excited oh. about is kind of off, and uh, yeah, you're going to marry me. Yeah, but Shay's there, man. Yeah, and that's that's where it's real <laughs> awkward. Is Shay's part. there? His lover is there, and he's <laughs> he's got the great line. What is it? It's it's a, sometimes we think we want to hear something, and it's only afterwards when it's too late that we realize we wished we'd heard it under entirely different circumstances. You know? They don't know that we know that they know that we know that <laughs> yeah. we know. Sansa doesn't know he's talking to Shay when he says that. <laughs> Shay doesn't even know that Tyrion's talking to Shay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> so just that whole scene is so funny. Uh, he's like just really trying to get Shay out of the room. Like, you don't want to learn about this this way. Like, really? It's not going to be good. Uh, it was not good at all, I imagine. And uh, the next scene we get after Sansa gets the news, next time we see Sansa, she's realizing it's too late to um, to take her journey with Littlefinger and escape, and she's going to be trapped, not being married to Loras, but being married to um, Tyrion. And uh, Littlefinger sums that up in his speech about the ladder when he says, some are given the chance to climb, but they refuse. They cling to the realm where the gods are love illusions and she had clung to love and the hope that she would be marrying Sir Loras and she had a chance to climb with Littlefinger and to escape King's Landing and and uh, that's when it cuts to her crying on the at the uh, on the pier with with Shay as she watches his ship sail off in the distance uh, so it's just really so much sad stuff with Sansa you know it's so sad that she was so excited yeah, about Loras. Yeah we're about Loras to go and, into a really rough patch yeah, Sansa. Sansa, yeah it's just so sad everything everything is so sad with Sansa her you know she was grown she grew up like so sheltered and with the these illusions of what people were like and what knights were and the way things work like believing the stories in the song in the songs the propaganda you know written by the singers hired by the kings who won the wars you know type yeah. thing and so, uh, you know, history, his story, the the story of the victor, the victor decides who the bad guy was, right? And the victor is always the good guy. <laughs> like, I bet if Hitler won World War II, <laughs> um, the U.S. would be like, paint, the allied forces would be painted as like the evil ones. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen The Man in the High Castle? No, we were talking about that recently, though, or someone was telling me about that recently. You should watch The Man in the High... In fact, Duncan, if you ever want a podcast together about, about that? The Man in the High Castle, I'm telling you right now, I'm itching for it. Let's do it. I'm we can We it. can make that plan right now. We have extra okay. weeks to, uh, you know, where we're going to need to fill our content for... I mean, not fill our content, but, you know, more content Maybe for, we could uh, do, like, a summer series or something. Yeah. We could come up with stuff. We can ask our audience, you know, if there's certain things that they would like to hear us cover or something like that. Cover some stuff we're interested in yeah. that we think like, deserves um, exposure. What was the... What was it? Was gunpowder Guns, that Kit Harrington was still Gunpowder, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to cover that. I yeah, think that's we, ju- that was a mini series. Yeah, we, we will cover that. We we can do that. Um, we should plan but to do that soon. Actually, Man in the High Castle. You watch the first episode whenever you have time, and you let me know what you think. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal show. But it, it that's the premise. The premise is is that Hitler won World War Two. Ooh, hardcore. 
And it's it's a story set in the United States. <laughs> Damn, that's it's that's fucking awesome. wild. Yeah, it sounds like something I would uh, be very interested in. It's like sort of like alt alt world comics where like they have Red Sun, where same thing like um, same type of thing. Where Superman crash lands in Moscow, Moscow, Russia instead of the U.S. and he grows up as the Red Sun, like Russian Superman, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, there's it also reminds me of. Um, Supergirl, a really awesome show on CW that I, I really love that show. They picked the perf- oh, perfect girl you, for Supergirl. I know you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, But they had a, they did a, like a collaboration with Arrow and um, with, with the Flash recently. What oh, was it? Cool. Um, it was uh, Crisis on Earth X, and it was a four part series that they did, which was on featured all the characters on each of the individual shows, and uh, it was essentially the plot is that on Earth X, which is a parallel universe Earth. Hitler won World War Two, and so <laughs> they have like oh, okay. they have Nazi Supergirl, Nazi Arrow. It's crazy. Yeah, it's fucking cool, man. For the Reich, <laughs> it's fucked up. I think that you would really, really you. Oh gosh, I I want you to see this show. I like want us to stop right now, and I want to watch it. Like I I just think that this show has you written all over. It. I it love does it. Sound it's like dark. It. It's dark. It's disturbing. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's filled with history. It's awesome. That sounds it's so awesome. good. It sounds so good. I and it, it will. I mean, it's so heavy though. Like you can only really watch one or two episodes at a time before you have to stop. <laughs> wow, man, that's wild. <laughs> that's so, that's crazy. Cause I like dark stuff yeah. and I can't binge this. I tried oh, and I was like, I, I got to watch something heavy. happy. You need, to, you need to be the mountain to be able to bear that. There you go. Paint some flowers or something. Speaking of the mountain, do you hear he recently broke the world record for deadlifting? I did so like over is, a thousand pounds. Yeah, so he's the strongest guy in Westeros and the strongest deadlifter uh, known on Earth, at least in this point too. So that's hardcore. He beat Ronnie Coleman, man. Ronnie Coleman, well, lightweight baby. Well, HBO, uh, you know Dan and Dan and Dave over there at HBO, they're very good at at casting the right people. Yeah, it took them three tries, but they <laughs> did get it. Their first mountain sucked. <laughs> you think so? Yes. <laughs> I don't want to like criticize anybody, you know. Um, I don't without, either, you know, but he was not the mountain. Yeah, he definitely wasn't like as big as we imagined the mountain to be. I'm not saying it was a bad actor. What I'm saying is, <clears throat> is right. that he was not the mountain. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bjorn, Thor Bjornsson, he is a fucking mountain. There's no yes. question about it. Yeah. Have you seen him standing next to uh, Lena Headey? <laughs> yeah, my sister told me... Uh, Last night, I think that his that the mountain's girlfriend or wife or whatever is five foot two. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that just seems like a punishment. <laughs> I'm as somebody who's five foot three. That's punishment. Oh wow, you're five foot three. <laughs> I'm five foot three. Ooh. I would dwarf you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny, man. Um, what were we talking about? We're talking about. I have no Hitler. idea. <laughs> <laughs> talking about Hitler. Uh, yeah, so basically, it sucks to be Sansa. It's real sad that nobody, you know, <laughs> that everybody knows that Loris is gay except her, but she's so excited and she shouldn't be. You know, she should, you know, I like it. Her hopes keep getting brought up and she keeps getting destroyed, you know? Like, it's the same thing. Like, she's going to King's Landing, she's so excited, and then no, her father gets fucking beheaded right in front of her. She's then supposed to be married to Loris, and she's, like, over the moon about that, and then, like, no, uh, ripped out from under her, plus he's gay, so sorry. And then she, like, gets returned to Winterfell, and she's like, oh my god, I'm finally home, like, Winterfell. And then, nope, she's, like, brutally raped and tortured by a sadist who's just, like, irrep... Like irre, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Irreparably. No, he's uh, 
irredeemable. He's just an irredeemable Irre- oh, sadist. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. I, was, I thought yeah. you were saying she was irreparably harmed. No, she she is too strong for that. Nothing is, nothing, she's she's never irreparably harmed. She She's, she's going to bounce back. She's a Stark, you know. She's the Wardeness of the North. Fuck, yeah. And I, I can't wait to see what she does in season eight. I'm team Sansa. Like watching her story evolve right now after watching season seven, I am team Sansa yeah, Stark. It's, yeah. And I have hated her for many years. I thought she was annoying yeah, exactly. as all hell. And I just I want I want to like wear my team Sansa shirt and and ring my <laughs> bell and wave a banner. <laughs> Buy your team Sansa shirts at gameofmicrophones.com. <laughs> That'd be cool. We should do. We'll, yeah, we'll do that. We'll put out some Team Sansa shirts. How about that? Yeah. We could do that Am easy. I the only one? Come on, guys. No, we can, let me know. We can put out all our favorite characters. So you can team Sansa. Team whatever you want. Team Daenerys. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Team Kit. Team, Jon Snow, I mean. <laughs> team Aegon. Everyone's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. That would be the shirt. Yeah. People would be like, what are they doing? <laughs> That's a spoiler. You moron. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> would you just call me? <laughs> there's certain things that it's like, you know, there's certain things that if you haven't heard about now, then you don't have Internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have the Internet, but I didn't realize Walking Dead was on until the day it was on <laughs> the other day. So. so it's possible that you just somehow manage to escape all these spoilers. Uh but it's very unlikely. Yeah, okay. I'm like the very yeah. rare exception. <laughs> and I do say that I was born under a rock on Pluto. So I, I may re- still reside go. under a rock to some degree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Casterly Rock. Bah. Oh, Casterly Rock. I needed more of that last season. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I will, hopefully we'll get more. Um, that'd be really cool. This is a beautiful looking place. Um, oh, and while we're just a brief mention, you guys should check out on YouTube Shadiversity. It's this guy, Shad. I think he's Australian. S-H-A-D. Shadiversity, like uh, university. But he talks about he's like an expert in swords and like medieval type stuff. And he analyzes he like he does a great ana- analysis of ice, the sword, um, deciding whether it's a, a great sword or a, or a, a two handed great sword or a broad sword or a long sword. Sorry. But I, I will tell you, he does not factor in the fact that it's very light being Valyrian steel. So I disagree with his final assessment. But he analyzes the castles of Westeros. Like looks at Winterfell, looks at Casterly Rock, looks at all these different castles, and deem, you know, decides whether or not they, um, the designers, like the conceptual art people for the show, did a good job at designing like functional castles, essentially. So it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. He uh, he points out that the roofs on top of Winterfell are flat, and that um, yeah. being in the north, dealing with a lot of snow, that might not be a great idea. But another thing he forgets about is that they use ironwood which is like super strong wood. Right. Um, so I bet those roofs are made of ironwood. Um, so it, it does make sense a little, uh, in the end, potentially, although it'd be, it would make more sense just to have them, you know, sloped. So the snow falls off, <laughs> whatever. It doesn't matter. That was my number two. <laughs> Sansa <laughs> and Loras and uh, Sansa and just how, <laughs> yeah, you know, you got it. We, you, you heard it all. Wow. We, we really, that's one of the best tangents I think. Yeah, that was rabbit on hole. Since starting this, yeah. rabbit hole level tangents. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> For you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. 
So you guys know I always recommend Game of Thrones and any of those books, but this week I want to recommend something that's a little different. It's called The Ancient Giants Who Ruled America, colon, The Missing, the missing Skeletons and the Great Smithsonian Cover-Up by Richard J. Dewhurst. But uh, it's a really cool book. It's about all these accounts, um, newspaper articles, reports from like all around the U.S. where they have apparently dug up giant skeletons from like nine feet to 14 feet tall, many of which were clad in bronze armor with long red hair and two rows of, of, uh, of teeth, six fingers and toes, which is kind of crazy. That's crazy. But this is like pretty well documented. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. So I recommend checking that out. And uh, yeah, to, to do that, go get your free audio book and your free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Enjoy. My number one is probably not going to be a surprise. It is our final scene with two of my favorite characters yep. for very different reasons. Very and varies and Littlefinger. Yep, same here. It's my number one as well. Chaos is a ladder. I love it that we're not even talking about the literal climb. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, right? We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It just okay. wasn't one of the top five for either it of us. It really wasn't <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things, which is funny. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you mentioned before, um, first of all, I just want to say that Barry's had the funniest line, maybe of the episode, Ooh. when he said... Um, the talking about the iron journey goes this ugly thing yet it has its cert, certain appeal <laughs> the liza aaron of chairs <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i i literally literally missed that this episode literally i, I, I literally skipped right over it chris traeger the and, liza uh, aaron of chairs I thought that was hilarious. It's an ugly thing, yet it has a certain appeal. Oh my god! And, and so he uh, he's saying that to to poke to poke at Littlefinger, who's betrothed to Eliza Aaron. Be, right, right, exactly. And that's why Littlefinger says it's the early days. Meaning, yeah, I'm betrothed to her, but she ain't gonna be my wife for very long. Oh damn, that's fucking brutal. That's what I thought of it, because he still has a long game for Sansa. Mm -hmm. He came back for her without really knowing. I mean, later. Right. But he comes back without really knowing what's going to happen, because I think I mean, I just don't believe that he was involved in Joffrey's death. I mean, he took credit for it, but we know that it was Olena and Varys that ultimately made that decision. Yeah, I mean, he provided the necklace through, um, through uh, what's his face, Sir Dantos, who gave it to Sansa. So he was involved to some degree, but I, I think the impetus definitely came from Lady Olenna. So I'd be interested to hear how she recruited him in her plot. Yeah, especially since you can't really trust that guy. Yeah, yeah. So like, so how crazy. do you get how do you get a trustworthy what what am I trying to say? How do you get him to commit to something with, while knowing that he's actually committing? Yeah, to that I mean, something? she failed because he ended up betraying her and giving up Oliver to uh, to Cersei, which ended up in, with Loras's um, imprisonment. Right. So, well, what what if what if it is is that he said, "I need you to provide this for me." Right. And in return, I will make it so that you can take Sansa with you wherever you go. Hmm. Yeah. Because that's probably the only thing because somebody knew, Varys knew that he had two feather beds. 
So who do varies tell that right. to, right? I mean, you could go down to like this twisted web, right? <laughs> Speaking of little varies. finger and little finger, right? <laughs> <laughs> ha, 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 ha. And little finger killed the one person that had read the manifest. Um, who is that? Roz. Oh, right. Yeah, that's just another really sad thing. And I, oh, that's what I wanted to bring up too is um you mentioned um how Littlefinger had you know, you sold his prostitutes to death, basically. And it's not the first time he did that. And he actually told Roz how he had done that to another prostitute, right? So it's just another element of like horrifying sadness that her oh, he own death was foreshadowed death. by, yeah, that story that he told her, Ugh. foreshadowing her own death. Basically, oh, I have a client. Yeah, me. it's fucked up. So he, she heard the warning and she still decided to collaborate with Varys anyway because she's scared of Littlefinger justifiably and her her fear her fear paid off like it, it, it came. I mean, it didn't pay off for her, but her fear proved justified, <laughs> I should say. Oh, poor Roz. Right? Isn't that fucked up? I was really, you know, I liked Roz. What's not to like? She was very smart. She didn't play the game very well. She, she was she was learning though she tried um she was really smart good you know much uh, she was a climber you know we could say yeah and that's that the other shook thing up that varies uh, too when varies yeah, realized really, what happened really that shook, shook him up he was real hot real shaken and Littlefinger, uh you know he 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 says some many who try to climb it f- fail and never get to try again the fall breaks them and that's the reference to Roz who tried to climb and tried to betray Littlefinger and take a step on Varys's ladder and uh, it, she fell um, and she got caught and uh, it's yeah it sucks <laughs> it sucks man it does you know what I, I agree with you it does suck and, and there's really I mean that's just one of those deaths that I mean she wasn't a very important character as far as the story goes but she's somebody that you didn't want anything bad to happen to right, right? And you know who would be the most sad about this currently in their current state who would be the most be- sad about this Beyond. yeah he won't be sad for too long though <laughs> I mean, he'll still be sad, maybe if he cares about Roz at all, but he won't be able to, he wouldn't be able to act on his, his feelings for her pretty soon. So at least in his current state, he would be really sad about Roz because he did have a thing for her. Yeah, I still, you know, I I don't think Roz is really um, at the (laughs) forefront of his his mind right now. now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a twisted scene that was. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Keep go ahead. Yeah. So, so Littlefinger kind of proves in this moment who we're really dealing with. I think that we've only played at what Littlefinger is capable of. We've seen him betray Ned. We've seen him um, uh, scare Roz and kind of cryptically talk to Varys and Cersei and and kind of scheme a little bit. And everybody's like, oh, you can't trust him. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm scared of him, blah, blah, blah. This is where we really see, okay, Littlefinger should not be ignored in this story. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. You know, I mean, he just comes out and he has all sorts of twisted things to say. You know, um, when he talks about his chaos as a ladder and he says, you know, some people cling to the realm 
God's love. They're all illusions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could go back and you can see that, you know, there are people in this very episode that are clinging to the illusions that he's talking about. Oh, yeah. Right? Sansa, as I mentioned, clinging to love, which is why she stayed behind, hoping to marry her Loras instead of going with Littlefinger. And John is clinging to um, his vows, right? I know that that's not the realm gods are love, but that's him clinging to, you know, the the vows that he's made as as a night's watchman that he's going to fulfill them for the realm. So, yep. uh, right? Um you know, you can say that that everybody has their own version of illusions that they are clinging to right now. And Littlefinger is so keenly and shrewdly aware of this and he knows that if he throws a stink bomb in the middle of all of it, <laughs> he can go basically unseen through it all. I mean, he's been able to get, he's now, he has Hall in, you know, word in title, only, but yeah. in title, right? He has Hall. <clears throat> he's betrothed to the veil, which means he'll have the Knights of the Veil at his finger trip tips. Mm-hmm. And he most likely has a plan to get Sansa, which means that if that plan goes through. If it had gone through the way that he intended it to go through, he would have had, you know, Hall, the Vale, and the North. Yeah, imagine that. I can't, because it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I really liked that theory about how Littlefinger faking his own death. No, nope, I don't like that... it. I don't. I told you I didn't like it. Just, uh, <laughs> I told you I hated yeah, yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just for the audience, uh, for listeners who may not be aware, there's a theory that um, Littlefinger faked his own death, that the woman that he was talking with in Winterfell, passing notes and stuff back and forth with, he there's one point where he hands her something and it glints, and people think that he handed her a like an, an iron... And a coin of bravos with an iron, you know, the uh, the faceless man coin, basically. And so, in that case, the the assumption is that this this woman who is a faceless man in Winterfell, um, and his Peter Baelish's family comes from bravos too, so he may have connections to this type of thing. Um, so this woman may be a faceless man. She may have put on. Littlefinger's face allowed herself to be killed much as Jockin killed himself um, instead of poisoning Arya and in for all we know next year Sansa could be like bludgeoned from from behind and brought down to her knees and Arya could be wheeled out in stockade and Littlefinger could walk out of the shadows and be like I don't die so easily <laughs> you know that'd be fucking wild no. <laughs> Baelish isn't from Bravos. His grandfather emigra- immigrated from Bravos. Their oh, old their mind. old yep. sigil was the the uh, the Titan of is. Bravos, and he nope, took this the Mockingbird for his own sigil. So yeah, I mean, it was like in in the past they're from Bravos, but yeah, he's not like immediately from See, Bravos. I just don't think that the answer. I well, I think that this is a very creative theory. <laughs> oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Super creative. I just don't think that we can just explain away everything with faceless man. Yeah, definitely. And I think that Peter Baelish's reactions when he was being killed are like the legitimate reactions that Baelish would have had. So it would have been difficult for a faceless man, not only, I mean, it would be easy to switch the faces, but for, for this woman, if she is a faceless woman, for her to... Uh, perfectly imitate Baelish's responses the way he first tries to manipulate Sansa and then he tries to beg and you know it, it would it's almost too perfect 
for it to be fake. You know, I, I do think that it probably was Littlefinger, but I would welcome the surprise that it wasn't. I think that we are going to see him again, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. If if nothing else, his face will be worn. Yes. Yeah. But Arya will use it to get to Cersei. Mm. Or that's, something, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That's just always been kind of my weird theory, but I just, I don't think that we're going to go through all of season eight without seeing Aiden Gillen. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine it either. There's got to be some use. It, it would be just too much of a waste not to use that face for Arya. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So... What do you have anything that you want to say about this scene? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. I think there's some cool stuff going on here. Because um, I, I have a, like I feel like I have a lot to say, but in like conversation. So okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that this will trigger some stuff. Um, yeah, good. The uh, the conversation that they have starts out with Varys remarking about the Iron Throne, saying a thousand blades taken from the hands of Aegon's fallen enemies forged in the fiery breath of Beleriand the dread and Baelish comes in and shatters the illusion there aren't right. a thousand blades there aren't 200. even two hundred I've counted He's like, ha, I'm sure you have Peter I'm sure you have um, but it, 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 that sort of represents you know when Baelish is saying that people cling to these things gods or love or the realm he's talking about various clinging to the concept of the realm various says i did i did what i did for the good of the realm talking about his his interactions with Roz, and um and Baelish is like, the realm is an illusion, you fucking idiot. The chair is an mm-hmm. illusion. There aren't a thousand blades. You're you bought into the illusion. All there is 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 climbing the ladder for yourself. That's all there is, is propelling yourself. You need to worry about yourself. And that's what Baelish is all about, right? Yeah, but he doesn't even see that what he's clinging to is the Iron Throne. Baelish, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, people are often, you know, blind to their own um their own ticks, you could say. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense as well. He doesn't realize that he is, in fact, clinging to the throne as well. I guess I guess the 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 ladder that he's climbing leads to the throne. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I guess he's clinging to it as a destination. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, Um, I do. So I thought that was kind of cool, just like that. We see how various uh, is ever consistent again, saying that he did what he did for the realm. And and I just like that Baelish like throws a wrench in that, telling him that the realm is an illusion. I just thought it was kind of cool. Lots of really like neat little stuff happening in this scene. Um, And Mm -hmm. every time I see it, all I can think about is bad lip reading. Because in this scene, Peter Baelish is like singing a song and bad lip reading. So funny. So fucking good. Hilarious. I hate it when they give you a frame. A frame? (laughs) Yeah, it's the best. Bad lip reading. Uh, I don't know. Anything else you got about that scene? I did want to bring that that up. Yeah, I think that we've talked about it kind of throughout so that, you know. We're at the end here and we're like, well, I guess we could say this about it. <laughs> oh, I think it's worth mentioning uh, just to wrap it up that the the montage and music, like the way that this, this scene was cut and uh, and the tension oh, was yeah. built with the music was really, really good. Um, Ramin Javadi just killing it again here. And the montage that they created just was really, really poignant the way that they pulled everything together. Mm-hmm. 
I would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely Um, agree. So that that. wraps up our number one, right? Yeah. All right. So how about notes? So one one particular note that I'd like to talk about is how stupid Theon is. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, So Theon is on a cross, which (laughs) is the flayed man, the uh, Bolton banner sigil, right? Yep. And Ramsey is flaying him. Literally, so literally so flaying stupid. him, he asking paying him, attention. "Do you know who I am? Do you know where you are?" <laughs> yeah, he, he uh, was raised in the north. He was educated in the north. He knows this, yeah. and, but he's so stupid and he's so one-dimensional that he does not realize that Ramsey is basically telegraphing who he is he's telling him exactly who he is uh yeah theon must not have been paying attention to maester lewin during their heraldry lessons at winterfell it just shows how self-absorbed he is yeah 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 exactly he Mm -hmm. doesn't see what's what's happening to him i mean the guy is peeling his skin off he's flaying him literally flaying him yeah and he's holding his bones and it's like dude you are on a you're on a little cross, a little X thing, and and somebody is peeling your skin off, and you still don't know where you are. <laughs> like you kind of deserve this. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't have a lot of I mean, sympathy he, for the, he Theon right now. He did some shit that <laughs> that puts him in you know in line for this type of treatment. Yeah, I don't know this harsh necessarily, but he definitely deserved punishment for all the shit that he's done, all the lives he's destroyed. Until he cuts off his penis. I think it's deserved. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, don't pretend right. to kill two little boys and take your childhood home and kill everybody around you and 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 think that you're going to get away with that. He, he did kill two little boys, too. Like, it wasn't pretending. So. So, yeah, he earned it. Um, I really liked... Um, I really like John and Egret together. I think that Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie just have an amazing chemistry together, especially when you know that they were together off screen. Um, because a lot of times when you're together off screen, you don't really, the chemistry doesn't really translate very well on screen. Oh, so interesting. I really like the fact that their chemistry was so good on screen, despite the fact that they were together off screen yeah how messed um, up was that they're climbing and like the the wall cracks and all that ice falls and orel's like we got to cut them and he starts cutting them and cutting the cutting the rope and just with at the, the like, dullest blade in all of westeros yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well he is a wildling right they don't necessarily have castle forged steel <laughs> i guess but i mean sharpen your knife once in a while you know what yeah, i'm yeah, saying yeah, totally that's funny um did you notice that before they climbed and uh and egret said don't betray me yeah that he didn't look at her oh when he said that he wouldn't he looked down um and he never met her eyes again when he said that he wouldn't betray her i didn't notice that that's uh it's definitely foreshadowing her him betraying her though yeah poor john poor both of them yeah i would have liked well she wouldn't have fit into the mold now unfortunately yeah unfortunately so. sometimes you gotta Dump the small memories to make room for the big new memories. <laughs> <laughs> to quote, uh, to quote uh, Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down, just so you guys don't think I'm fucked up, because he's fucked up. He said it, not me. I'm just quoting. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
when John and Eager got to the top of the wall, um, I kind of noticed that for the first time in their relationship, they're kind of on equal footing. They've got each of their own sides on either side of them, and they're at the top of this massive oh, thing. And they're very just symbolic. Kind of, yeah. And I think that for the first time, they probably, at least John probably did feel like they were kind of in it together, that yeah. he was about to go into a land that she had never been plus, and that she could learn from him. Yeah, plus they just climbed the wall together. They got disconnected from the pack, and it was the two of them working together that finished they the climb. They almost died twice. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great, too. Like Just the, the view from top of the wall was gorgeous. Um really really beautiful view it looked like money which is something i like to say about game of thrones just looks like money <laughs> i thought it was funny too uh Tyrion got to piss off the top of the world and john got a kiss at the top of the world that's true <laughs> right? that's true it's amazing how green it was on the other side after yeah all that's that true snow. that's true like we feel like we've been trudging in the snow with john for a while yeah, real long time. And uh, it's just another beautiful moment with no words spoken. You know, there's a few mm -hmm. of these scenes where like they, they do a lot of stuff and there's no dialogue. And it's another one of those scenes at the end there. They don't say anything, but it's just so beautiful. And there's a couple hints in the music that Ramin throws in there, just like a couple notes that are a little dissident. And uh, it creates sort of like a, a foreboding sense of the future, which... Um, which is it's it's a beautiful moment, but it's also really super sad, like knowing what what's to come so soon between the two of them. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's overshadowed by uh, by, uh, you know, a future that's never meant to be, essentially. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Super <laughs> that sad. That makes me sad. Yeah, I was sad watching it. Um, and when Orel cuts the rope, if looks could kill. John glares at Orel. Oh my god. And, and he Orel, knows he's dead. Yeah, man. and Orel looks terrified. He looks nervous. At he's least. like, oh, oh, you're still here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's fucking wild, man. Oh, there was a creepy line with Ramsey where he's like talking about all the how Ram uh, Theon's already told him everything. You know, and he's like, remember, your daddy was mean to you. The Starks didn't appreciate you. One good bit, though. The Stark boys, they're still alive. Wouldn't that be a hunt to remember? You failed, but I'm a better hunter than you. Uh, and I'm like, damn, that's fucked up. <laughs> oh, he's the worst. Theon, like, did basically, like, hunt them. You know, he took the hounds out. He was hunting them. So that, that Theon doing that sort of foreshadows the whole, like, hunting concept with Ramsay. <laughs> Which is wild. It's not the first time those Stark boys are going to be hunted. That's true. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, he has his most prophetic line where it's George R.R. R. Martin stabbing us all in the, the heart and then the genitals. Um, <laughs> where, he, where he says, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. And that's a message to us from George. <laughs> like, it's got to be, you know, that's George R.R. R. Martin saying, brace yourselves, people, because the ending is going to be bittersweet. <laughs> right. Oh, so that was cool. I like that little line thrown in there. Meant a lot. And um, I thought it was just so twisted how Ramsey's just like he's acting. He's playing along and like he's like Theon's like, you're you're Torrin's car stock. And he's like, how did you know? How did you know that? And like, we're at Carhold. Did you see any banners flying when we came in? And he's like messing with him, like really convincingly looking like, huh? <laughs> you know? And he just throws it in his face. Wait. You didn't ask me if I'm a liar. <laughs> I know. Gosh, she's so crazy. 
what a showman. <laughs> and uh, it, the scene culminates as, you know, as he's being flayed and he's like t- cutting his finger apart, basically. It culminates with Theon just yelling, please cut it off, cut it off, cut it he's off. He's like, I win. <laughs> I win. Da, da, da. <laughs> so twisted. Oh my gosh, he's so crazy. And it reminded me of this this story that... From my roommate up in Boston, my one of my good friends, John Crawford, really amazing metal guitarist, and he's like, uh, he, he went to music school, he went to medical school, he like, he's just like, he went to IT, he's like all around, he does, he's got all kinds of experience, you know. Um, and <laughs> he went to a party up in Boston, out in Austin, I think, uh, while we were up there, and he was hanging out with some chick, and he got wasted, and he he, he shows up like. I, I I'm I'm in I'm in bed. I think it's like four o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Someone is pounding on my door, like they're trying to kick my door in. And I get up and like open the door, and these guys, friends of mine, friends of John's, are carrying John, like bringing him back to the apartment because he was so trashed. He drank like a whole thirty pack, pack probably, but he, he wakes up the next day and he's got like red paint like smeared all over him, and his nipples hurt and his teeth hurt, and he's convinced himself that he is made out with this chick and she was like biting his nipples or something. But I know the truth, which is it plays into the rest of what happened that night. He fell into a bathtub face first and like landed like tooth teeth first basically into the bathtub so i think that the rim of the bathtub hit him in the nipples like as his face went into the into the tub and his chest connected uh. with the rim and he, he this cut it off cut it off with theon apparently at the party john was screaming rip it out rip it out oh. about his tooth from nailing it on the floor of the bathtub so, oh, that's so, so bad. I couldn't help but having that memory pop into my mind as Theon is yelling, cut it off. And I'm thinking, rip it out. <laughs> hey, John, I know you're not listening, but if you ever do but listen hey. to this. Hey. <laughs> the night uh, is dark and full of tears. Yep. So that was funny. I also thought Ed Muir's reaction to um, the, the phrase saying, "We, you know, Rob's like, we will do whatever we can to give Lord Frey what he needs. And they're like, not what? Whom? And Ed, Ed Muir's like, it's like he's like drinking like a sip of like tea or something. <laughs> like, you know, like he like spits it out a little bit and <laughs> what? <laughs> right. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, no, we're not doing that. Sorry. But Rob was very kingly um, by saying like when he finally does agree, he says, I'll marry her. And he says, you're, you're paying for my sins, uncle. It's not fair or right. I'll remember it. You know, and like I thought that right. was very kingly, very proper for Rob yeah. to let him know that like how much it means and that it will not be forgotten. Um, but it, when they were leading up to that moment, uh, <laughs> it's like you, Rob says, you said you wanted to make amends for the stone mill. And Blackfish has a beautiful line. You recall that heroic engagement? I know. <laughs> I love like, fuck, check me. <laughs> uh, I had something less permanent in mind <laughs> to make up for it. You're like, oh well, my God. you know, we wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for you. So uh, fuck off. And Rob has a horrifying realization too, which is I've won every battle, but I'm losing the war. If we don't do this and do it now, we're lost. Like it's uh-huh. it, you know? So uh, he uh, agrees to go through with the marriage. And uh, it, it was funny. He's, he's like, how old is she? 19. Does, does she have all her teeth? You know, he's like, or, or, what do you want to know if she has all her teeth, too? You want to look at her teeth? And it reminded right. me of this um, this line, uh, never look a gift horse in the mouth. You ever heard uh-huh. that? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, uh, if you're if someone's giving you a, a, a gift as a, like this, a horse in this case, you're not going to inspect it to make sure it's like the top notch horse that like that would win the prizes and be like a like a, you know, like the best genetically. Like you're just going to say thank you because you're getting something that's going to help you, you know. Right. And uh, I mean, in this case, it doesn't really apply. But looking her in the mouth, looking at her teeth just sort of reminded me of that phrase, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, let's see what else we got. <laughs> Brienne had a little dose of reality when she was trying to. Um, we didn't talk about that scene at all when uh, Brienne, Jamie, and Roose Bolton eat supper together, and Jamie's struggling to eat with one hand, which is mm -hmm. hilariously sad. And Brienne's like, "I'm charged with bringing Sir Jamie to. You're charged with abetting treason." <laughs> She's like, "Fuck." Oh yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, kind of. Brienne, yeah. thick as a castle wall. Uh, Love Brienne. Me too. She's great. She's just a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, it's sad to see Jamie uh, in the position he's in, and as Lord Bolton's telling him, like, I thought that you would, uh, you know, learn not to overplay your hand at this point, you know. But he's like, as soon as situation, you're well, yeah, yeah, as soon as you're well enough to travel, I will allow you to go to King's Landing as restitution for the mistakes my soldiers made, um, and you will swear to tell your father the truth that I had nothing to do with your maiming. And he is in CYA mode. Absolutely. He's covering his ass. He's terrified of Tywin. He's far more scared of Tywin than he is of Rob, which well, he's explains... he's about to defect anyways. Yeah, so. and that's because, I think, because he's so much more scared of repercussions from Tywin than he is of Rob. Like, what's Rob... Nobody even takes Rob seriously anymore. His own mother doesn't follow his instructions. You know what I mean? Right. So he's he doesn't see Rob as, like, a serious person, I don't think, at this point, which uh, makes it easy for him to turn on him, and uh, especially considering that... Um, he may end up in Tywin's favor for returning his son to him in the best condition possible um, once it was in his ca in his capacity, you know. Mm -hmm. So super fucked up scene as we learn of uh, Roos's, you know, angling here. And it's, it's just crazy, man. Right. Yeah. And we see Brandon address, too, which is funny. Yeah, I didn't even realize that until I was like, I'm looking at the the uh, the lines from the show here, and I see I see my men have finally found you something appropriate to wear, and I'm like, Haha, oh yeah, she was wearing a dress. It's <laughs> great. Poor Brienne. <laughs> Poor Brienne. Oh man, yeah, that covers it for my notes too. All right. Awesome. Good episode. Yeah, definitely. So stay with us, guys, and we'll be right back. with some news and fun stuff, right? Yeah. Couple of news items today before I ran screaming from the internet. Let me just Ugh. tell you right now, don't go there if you don't want to be spoiled. Yeah, I feel crazy bad place. that happened. I feel bad that you got spoiled. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And it's only a maybe because the minute I saw a picture, I just closed it. Like as fast as I could. And I bet that given last year, they're intentionally you know, putting out pictures and stuff of things that aren't going to happen. 
Um, I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm pretty con- convinced I would if I was them. I would put all kinds of disinformation out and muddy the well so much that it's impossible to tell what reality was. So there's no way that there could be spoilers. That's what Walking Dead did. For, yeah, uh, for the, who needed yeah, killed? Exactly, they, killed, filmed they, everybody uh, getting killed. Filmed everybody dying. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, super cool. I like that type of stuff. Yeah. So you want to take over or uh, sure. take it away? This uh, this first article is from Westeros.org. Uh, it is called Jer- Jerome Flynn Whale Fundraiser. So to benefit whale and dolphin conservation, the leading charity to protect whales and dolphins around the world, Jerome Flynn will join a lucky winner on a trip to Iceland to tour various uh, locations featured in Game of Thrones. Jerome That's Flynn well. plays Braun, just, uh, just so you guys know. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I assume people know this, and that's bad. <laughs> I always so try to talk right. to everybody like they're dumb as hell. Sorry, guys. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the fundraiser is hosted at Prizio. Prizio does, if you're not familiar with Prizio, Prizio does a lot of really good charitable work with celebrities and a lot of them. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch has one going on right now. Lin-Manuel Miranda had one for a while about getting tickets to Hamilton. Um, and there's another Hamilton out one out that's right now. But this is Jerome Flynn's. This is Bronze of the Blackwater Bays, Prizio. Uh, charitable donation thing. So that's awesome. Um, Jerome's message to supporters explains the details. I want you to join me beyond the wall to get a sneak peek and visit famous filming locations from the series beyond the seven kingdoms. What? I'll fly you and a friend to Iceland and take you on a tour of some of the most breathtaking game of Thrones locations, including the fir- the fist of the first men and the mountain that looks like an arrowhead from season seven, your flights and hotel accommodation will be covered and we'll even go on a private whale watching trip as one of the world's best whale watching spots where you'll have the chance to see orcas humpbacks dolphins and their sperm whales wild and free in their natural habitat and better yet if you spot an orca during the trip who doesn't yet have a name in the icelandic orca catalog you'll be able to choose a name for him or her which will be used by the whale watchers and scientists forevermore so cool so it only takes a $10 minimum donation to enter uh, to win this trip of a lifetime. Your donation supports whale and dolphin conservation's vital work protecting these amazing creatures from the many threats that they face. Uh, thank you so much for your support. Can't wait to meet you in Iceland. The Whales and Dolphin, uh, dolphin Conservation's fundraiser ends on April 23rd. So uh, my guess is that you can go to Prizio or you can just Google this and you can find a way to enter if you'd like to um, donate and enter to win this really amazing looking trip. Yeah, so. that's super cool. Um, I, You guys all know I like Braun and Jerome, Jerome Flynn. So this just makes me even happier because I really love whales um, and the you know the populations have been in decline for a long time uh, due to whaling operations, illegal whaling operations from J- out of Japan and stuff like that. So, I, I and I, I consider whales to be like basically um, you know some some I think what is it dolphins that have been classified as in non-human persons. Um, I believe that whales are the same type of thing. Like, I think it's fucked up to kill a whale. Um, mm-hmm. And I I was real close to joining Sea Shepherd back in the day. Oh, um, nice. But, you know, you're, the, those are the guys that uh, 
that risk their lives to go ram Japanese whaling ships and stuff down in the Ar- in the Antarctic. Um, they had the TV show Whale Wars for a while, which I really liked. I wanted, I really wanted to do that, but it just didn't end up happening. Um, but yeah, so anything to help whales and stuff like that is fucking awesome. So thanks, Jerome, for doing that. I hopefully, agree. We, hopefully we can make some good money and sink those those whaling fleets for good. Yeah, let us know if you decide to donate to this. That'd be nice to know how much of that comes from us. Yeah, if you guys donate to it, um, let us know and we'll give you a shout out too because it's fucking awesome. And we'd, yeah. we'd, we'd like if you guys would, uh, if, if you donate, you deserve recognition for donating, mm-hmm. you know? So that's cool. Our next item comes from IGN. Sean Bean reveals what Ned Stark was saying before he died. It's yeah. been <laughs> It's been several years since the world was traumatized by Game of Thrones, killing off its presumed main character before the end of its first season. And now Sean Bean has finally revealed what Ned Stark was saying before his untimely end. And you mentioned this to me before, Kristen, and I've been you know, anxiously awaiting to find out. What he's <laughs> <laughs> so over the years, a number of fan theories about Ned's final words have emerged. Some speculate he was communicating with his son, Bran, interesting, while others thought he might have been delivering the fan favorite phrase, Valor Morghulis. That would be out of nowhere. (laughs) That doesn't make sense to me at all. (laughs) I don't think either of those theories make any sense. Uh, (laughs) But it seems what he was saying was nothing more than a small prayer. That makes perfect sense. In an an interview with the Huffington Post, Bean set the record straight. He's a straightener. He says, I just thought, what would you do if this were really going to happen? You'd probably pray. You'd probably murmur some words and you'd keep it quiet. You'd keep it to yourself. Bean then went on to explain that he believes there really was nothing more Ned could do at that moment. It's quite subtle in that many people wouldn't pick it up, Bean said. It was an interesting thing to do for me at that point. There's not much you can really do. You've got your head on the block. That's about the only thing you can do is murmur. So that's interesting. Yeah. It's a good way of conveying that he's realizes that the end is here and that he's trying to make peace and, uh, you know, do that. Well, and he was such a devout man anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he was, he loved the going to the God's way. Yeah. Cat would find him there regularly, you know, mm-hmm. polishing ice, the family heirloom. And he was a man of honor and faith and belief. And of course he was praying. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Talking with Bran, he doesn't know Bran is fucking Bran yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he didn't have like doesn't some weird vision in the last few moments of his life where he says, Valar Mogulis, yeah, you know? Yeah, no. Right? No, that doesn't make any sense at all. Who came up with these theories? IGN, I'm disappointed with that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, so... He continue, it continues, as for the theories about Ned possibly returning in the final season of the show, Bean has told fans not to count on it, as he has not been contacted by HEO, HBO, nor would he want the character to come back. It's worth noting that a younger version of the character, played by Robert Aramayo, appeared in... Who looks exactly like Neil Patrick Harris, but whatever. <laughs> oh, I can see it a little bit. <laughs> and he just, I, I thought he did just a phenomenal job recreating the Ned Stark character. Yes, appeared absolutely. Uh, several notable flashback scenes in season seven. No, they've never said that, Bean says, speaking about HBO contacting him for a possible return. And, yeah, I've heard rumors, but not from very good sources that I might be back. But I think I've done my time there, and I created a good character. I'd rather... It'd be rather strange to see him resurrected. I agree. I, agree. I think they should leave Ned where he is. Mm-hmm. It would be uh, pointless to bring him back, really, aside from uh, young Ned, which I thought was great. 
really, yes, really this awesome. Is where it ends. I mean, I'm sure they could come up with some some sort of flashback that would make uh, you know a Sean Bean cameo make sense, but you know, it, 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 fuck it, it would be cool. Fuck it, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, but he's <laughs> aged in the past eight years. Like nobody wants. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Eight years. That's funny. So. Moving on, our next item, we're we're uh, mixing up a little and not doing uh, the Game of Thrones as myth type thing again, but we are doing seven historical parallels to Game of Thrones by Mental Floss, or from Mental Floss by writer Christian Bond. So there are some cool historical parallels here that uh, I'd never heard mentioned on any podcasts before, so I thought we should talk about them. All right. Number one, King Joffrey. Oh, and one of them had to do with Zoroastrianism, but I left that out so you wouldn't have to try to pronounce it. Just, <laughs> just I could have done it this way. <laughs> oh, that's true. You could have. I, I still added it. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I was like, ha, Zoroastrianism. I'll, I listen, I'm not I fuck learned with that from week. my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should have known. I know. I apologize. So King Joffrey is Edward of Lancaster. As evil as he is, King Joffrey's vicious personality seems to be rooted in history. Edward of Lancaster was the son of King Henry VI and Margaret of Anjou. And like Joffrey, he was rumored to be of illegitimate birth. Did I mispronounce something there? No. Okay. I thought that sounded like you were going to say something. I was yawning. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like Joffrey, Edward had a touch of madness, and he shared Joffrey's affinity for lopping off the heads of his enemies. The ambassador of Milan once wrote, This boy, though only 13 years of age, already talks of nothing but of cutting off heads or making war, as if he had everything in his hands or was the god of battle or the peaceful occupant of that throne. History also gave Edward his comeuppance. He was stabbed to death by Edward IV of York, the real-life equivalent of Rob Stark. What? Gosh, so that that's cool. Awesome. That that's sort of like a, maybe an allusion to line this line by Sansa. Maybe Rob will deliver me your head on a platter. That'd be great. <laughs> and apparently, in real life, that's what happened. Cool. Number two, Theon Greyjoy is George. I hate you. <laughs> I didn't even realize I, it was an accident. I'm looking at an now like, what the fuck is that? Oh, wow. That's probably right. Oh, wow. Kristen knows how to no, read. I mean, I mean, no, no. Oh, wow. Like, I had no idea how to pronounce that. So <laughs> that was a shocker to me. <laughs> the first Duke of Clarence. This is why he gave me number two. <laughs> Theon, okay. Theon grew up in Winterfell as ward as a ward to Lord Eddard Stark and a surrogate brother to Rob. Following the outbreak of the War of the Five Kings, Theon was one of Rob's most trusted advisors. After Rob sent Theon to meet with his father, Balon Greyjoy, Theon turned on his friend and invaded the North like a douche. Like a major douche. Theon's historical counterpart, counterpart George Plantagenet was brother to Edward IV of York and like Theon began the War of the Roses as a staunch York defender. Wow. Much like Theon, George Plantagenet turned on his brother during the War of the Roses and defected to the Lancasters like an idiot. Yep. After Edward won the war, George was drowned in a butt of wine for his treason which is as which is a much kinder punishment than the many atrocities that Theon has endured. <laughs> and just for you guys listening, a butt is like 147 gallons. So it's, it's the equivalent of a barrel of wine. A butt. <laughs> I like that they called it a butt, though. That's cool. <laughs> 
butt. My son would be very excited. <laughs> His favorite word right now is nice. butt. That's a good word. We're gonna, you know, <laughs> can't argue with that. I know. Number four. We're skipping some numbers here so we don't read the whole article. All right. Number four is Jamie Lannister is Gottfried von Berlingen. Berlingen? Uh, Berlingen. What's that? What's our German listener uh, that that I mispronounced her name? Um, oh yeah, Hannah Hannah Kindler. I bet you can give me a pronunciation on this. So let me know if you get a chance. In Game of Thrones season four premiere, Jamie Lannister received a shiny new gold hand to replace one that was hacked off. The Kingslayer, however, follows in the footsteps of Gottfried von Berlichingen, or as he was known, <laughs> Gots of the Iron Hand. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> Gots. He got an iron hand. <laughs> yeah, he did. Like Jamie, Gots was born to a noble family before serving as an imperial knight. During battle, Gott's hand was blown off by a cannon. What? Damn. Not easily deterred, <laughs> Gotts des- designed a prosthetic iron hand and returned to combat. Wow. He's, that is fucking awesome. He's well known for his catchphrase, Erkan mich am Arschlecken. Which translates as he can lick my arse. <laughs> Which it kind of sounds like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Ger- uh, English is a Germanic language, so there are, are very many, um, com- you know, similarities between German and English. It's like a sort of a mix of Germanic and roman- romantic languages. So you get the German roots and the Roman roots. Like, kind Just of always sound angry. <laughs> yeah, the Ger- German definitely comes across. It's very abrasive. You know, it's a uh, it's beautiful in its own way, though. Um, so he can lick my arse. That also makes him a precursor to Futurama's Bender, Oof. which is also one of my favorite voice actors. Futurama. Oh yeah, yeah. That was back in my stoner days in San Francisco. <laughs> the guy who plays Bender also plays Marcus Phoenix in Game of or in, uh, in Gears of War. Ah, yeah. He's one of my favorite actor voice actors. I can't remember his name right now, but he's, he's fucking cool, man. He's good. Uh, number six, the Battle of Blackwater Bay is the second Arab siege of Constantinople. Istanbul was Constantinople, now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Did you ever hear that song? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've heard uh, <laughs> They might be giants. Bits. What it was it? Isn't that, it, they might be giants? Yeah. Oh, but, may, oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I was thinking of something else. Oh, you should listen to it then. Istanbul right. was Constantinople, now Istanbul, <laughs> Constantinople. <laughs> That's funny. Tongue twister. Oh, that showed my age. Um, the Battle of Blackwater Bay, when Stannis Baratheon attempted to siege the capital of King's Landing, was the focus of the penultimate episode of season two. Stannis was defeated after Tyrion attacked his navy with wildfire, a chemical that burns on water. Tyrion might have gotten this idea from the second Arab siege of Constantinople, where Greek fire, Ooh, which, which I've talked about. talked about, yeah. a similar substance was used to repel invaders. So you guys, uh, for, any, for book readers, uh, there's also, it's, I'm not going to say what part of the books this comes from. It's, it's from this list, from this article, but we've, we've excluded it. So you don't, you guys don't know for, so that the show read, show watchers aren't spoiled by, uh, by it, but there is, if you're reading the book. Yeah. If, if you've, yeah. if you're, uh, if you're a book reader, you should wiki the great chain of Constantinople, the great chain, C H I. A-I-N, and uh, you'll you'll recognize where that 
you know, where that influence comes into play and in the, uh, in a song of ice and fire as well. So that's pretty cool. The great chain of Constantinople. 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 Yeah, check Istanbul that out. Istanbul was Constantinople. Not Istanbul, not Constantinople. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, check that out. Cool article, bro. Thanks. Yeah, I was just like, I just searched Game of Thrones, real history. It's a great article. Yeah, I think we. I like including stuff like that. You know, it gives an ele- element of like realism to the podcast. That yeah, is cool and like sort of like an. Illustrating the like the level of sophistication of the writing, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree. Matthew Rep, which climb do you find more treacherous? The wildlings climbing the wall or Littlefinger climbing the ladder of chaos? Melisandre seems to know Arya's future as a faceless man and even her blindness. I see a darkness in you and in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes, eyes sealed shut forever. We will meet again. I can't believe Theon, after being raised in the north, still doesn't know who his captor is, even after Ramsay literally starts flaying him alive. Yes! Yeah, I, I didn't even, like, really pick up on that. So, yeah, you guys are freaking cool, man. You guys are next level. If he thought that horn was... If he thought that horn was bad behind the gates of Winterfell, it can't be much better right in your face. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Brandon Ushery Hill says season three is the forgotten season. Red Wedding makes you want to skip it. <laughs> no, man. Season three is book three and book three is the best. <laughs> uh, but I definitely can understand how some people could definitely want to skip it just because of the Red Wedding. Too traumatic to embroil yourself in the whole season you know, psychology. I, know, <laughs> I have a funny story about that is, you know, my husband and I, we watch, we read the books. We would read a book and then watch a season, read a book, watch a season. That's oh, how cool. we did it. That's neat. And um, so when we got up to the Red Wedding episode and we knew what was next, we stopped watching it for a long time. Like we were like, no, I, I don't want to watch the next episode. And so I think we like picked up Sons of Anarchy or something like we picked up it's something so really random and stuck with that for a while. And so he's like, hey, did you guys ever catch up on Game of Thrones? And we're like, no. Until the trauma receded and then you're able to start again. Yeah, we had a really tough time with proceeding. Uh, it is pretty brutal. We just didn't want it to happen again. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the book, the, oh gosh, the book, Hail Hydra. The book is just, you know, Hail Hydra. Brutal. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. Anyways, they're both brutal. I thought that was funny. They both have their own, like, particularly brutal elements that the other one doesn't have, you know? So, if you want Agreed. the full picture of brutality, you got to read the books and watch the show. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> Do it. Alicia Stout. I was going to comment on that very same scene between Arya and Melisandre. I see a darkness in you, etc. Yes! Such foreshadowing of the faceless men in the House of Black and White. Piggybacking on my earlier resurrection comment this week, do you think the Hound has the capability to resurrect? When he fell off the cliff after fighting with Brienne in Season 4, Arya left him for dead. Did he actually die? If so, he could come. Could he have come back to life? A possibility? It's possible. We don't really have an explanation on the show, I don't think. There's more details in the books, though, if you want to read them. 
<laughs> in season <Yo>, Hydra. <laughs> in season six, when Brother Ray finds the hound, he says to him, "Now I reckoned you were gonna die a dozen times over the next. F- I, now I reckoned you were gonna die a dozen times over the next few days, but you didn't. What kept you going? Hate. No, there's a reason you're still here." Aye, there's a reason. I'm a big fucker and I'm too tough to kill. (laughs) No, a reason. The gods aren't done with you yet. We also know he has the power to see a vision in the flames, and we know he's scared of fire, but perhaps there's something more to all of this? Could he be or become a red priest? Your thoughts? What do you think, Kay? Um, I... I I don't think so. (laughs) I, uh... Sorry, I think that he might have the power or the ability to see what's in the flames um, much. But, you know, when you think about it, he saw what was in the flames because Thoros told him to look into the flames, much yeah. like when Stannis saw into the flames, Melisandre told him to look into the flames. Yeah. So, you know, there is a possibility that he was seeing what um, Thoros wanted him to see. Or that- but at the same time. Or that red priests have the ability to share their visions when someone else is looking into the flames with them. But at the same time, there is a theory out there that the reason why the hound was burned so badly was because maybe he was seeing into the flames and his brother like pushed him in or didn't oh, like it that he had a power or something like that. That's interesting. I've never heard so, that. That's oh, you haven't? No, that's, yeah, that's, oh, that's new. I thought you had. Um, so, you know, I think that if we're going to find it out. We'll probably find it out in season eight, but it could go either way. Yeah. That's, that's, I don't that's think a, he's a red priest though. Yeah. I, I tend to agree. I think that, um, I, I sort of think that red priests can show people visions in the flames. Like maybe they provide like the, like the missing piece just in their presence that, that is needed. Cause he doesn't really tell Sandor what to see either. He's like, what do you see? And Sandor's like snow. I see ice, a wall, the wall, you know, it's like sort of, he, he didn't really lead him. He just saw what he saw. Um, and it just ha- happened to be what Thoros was seeing as well. So I, I, I don't think that, the hound is necessarily a priest but i think that he is a he is like one of the chosen figures in the lord of lights like game you could say on this chess game i think that the the hound is one of the pieces just not a priestly piece same as john mm-hmm. snow like john snow's not like a priest but he's definitely a one a piece on that board i do think that uh the hound may it's possible he is resurrected already although i don't i don't really think he was but i do think that he will be resurrected so i think that we will see um that happen if it hasn't happened already uh and yeah so that's that's pretty much what i think i think that he has a connection to the lord of light but i don't think he's going to be a priest per se but he will be an important figure yeah i would agree with that nice thanks lady alicia yeah that was great Now we have an email from a traveler of the Middling Roads, a citizen of McCumber's Blue Eye. Hi, guys. Thanks for reading my email. In the dawn ages of Westeros... All right, so this is a little bit book spoilery, but not like really spoilery. It's more like history type stuff. So he says, In the dawn ages of Westeros, there is a particularly romantic story from the Stormlands, and that is between Durin, God's Grief, and the daughter of the God of the Seas and Goddess of the Winds. 
Her name was Elenai, and she fell in love with Durin and offered her maidenhead to him, even though the result would be that she would become mortal. He married her. The sea god grew angry and destroyed the castle at th that the wedding party was held in, and, the, and all the wedding guests were killed. Sounds kind of like the Red Wedding. Except Durin, who was protected by Elenai's magic. So Durin, God's grief, vowed to rebuild the castle for Elenai, stronger than the last one. When that, when that castle was finished, the gods destroyed it six times over until he built Storm's End on the seventh attempt, a castle that the gods could not ravage as it was built strong and protected by Elenai's magic. And if I remember correctly, the barrier walls at Storm's End are a hundred feet thick. Like, it's really built tough. Um, so Brandon, the build um, protected by Elenai's magic, magic from the children of the forest and Brandon the Builder's technical expertise. Imagine the love he felt he felt to rebuild all of those castles within his lifetime. Most lords only build one. If that, most lords inherit a castle. So only even the rare lord gets to build one castle. So it's crazy to build it's like seven. The Taj Mahal. <laughs> So, this is a Stormland story about the foundation of House Durin, Duridan, um, and the seat of the Stormland, Storm's End. Podrick Payne's house hails from the Westerlands and sworn fealty to House Lannister. How can they be connected? The answer is 10,000 years, much like the mathematical formulation of R plus L equals J or uh, A, if you want to think of him as Aegon. <laughs> Durin God's Grief plus Elenai plus 10,000 years equals Podrick Payne. <laughs> so uh, this guy, Durin, Durin God's Grief, essentially was such a, so awesome and so such a good lover that he convinced a goddess to turn mortal to be with him, much in the same way that, that Podrick Payne convinced Horus to, to fuck for free, essentially. <laughs> wow. So that's a fucking craziness like i i'm like impressed that you pulled that together man that that's some deep digging right there but it makes sense so that's that's really cool um he says if we're allowed to pursue the lineages and histories of the great houses of the seven kingdoms grandmaster Pycelle would say it is a quite a ponderous tome it would show the intermarriages of the different houses the stormlands to the riverlands the riverlands to the westerlands and how all of the houses have mixed blood so over time Elenai, who is a creature of magic, her blood flows through Podrick Payne's heart. In a time of magical energies on the incline, Podrick has no control over his supernatural ability, aromancy, or love magic. Much the same way a myst mystical satyr or siren attempts to tempts sailors with their beautiful voices when Podrick is attracted to someone they magically become attracted to him to their own detriment. If he does not find them attracted, they are not affected. Those girls at the brothel who didn't take the coins for the time spent with Podrick will be beaten. They will be given unsavory clients or worse for, you know, not receiving their payments, especially with Littlefinger. He probably had him killed. Probably. Des <laughs> depending on his lack of control, their love for Podrick, Podrick could soon turn into grief when he does not return. In, in, Germ's, in Grimm's writing, he sometimes saddles characters with attributes or at abilities that do not fully suit them. For instance, a woman who is a warrior with a gallant heart and a fierce will to win is socially unacceptable. Or a powerful man creating a dynasty for his children who are incestuous or one he despises. <laughs> the greatest swordsman in the world loses his hand. <laughs> on and on. Podrick only wants to serve. He is content in a life of service despite his very, very special ability. A traveler of the Midland Roads, a citizen of McCumber's Blue Eye. Thanks for the message. That was very interesting. 
It was creative. Yeah, for sure. Love it. The next one is from Lady Caroline of House Collins. Hi, Duncan, Lady Kay. I love this rewatch because I kept thinking of memorable scenes as we discussed season seven. And maybe it's just the pivotal point in the series, but I feel like every scene is memorable in these past few episodes. We're really getting into the meat of the characters, although I'd rather not see their literal meat, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Theon. (laughs) This really is the episode of Dynamic Duos. Many of the pairs that are working together were opposing not too long ago, but for a short time. They have the same goal and are forced together. My first thought was Jamie and Brienne, but we also have Mira and Osha uniting to feed the useless green seers, <laughs> <laughs> and John and Egret uniting against the wall, Oral and Gravity. <laughs> oh, sorry. And John and Egret uniting against the wall, Oral and Gravity. Also, we see Thoros and Melisandre uniting against the darkness, Tyrion and Cersei united in their misery, and Sansa and Loras blissfully ignorant of <laughs> just about everything. Uh, I'd say Tywin and Elena, but that's more a skirmish of words than an alliance. It's just an amazing scene by two incredible actors. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Is Bran making a Dreamcatcher seven-pointed star thingy like... Catelyn made for him when he fell. I've forgotten what they're called. I wonder why she's making it. Why he's making it. Interesting. It's interesting to see Roose Bolton's personality. I could see where Ramsay gets his sick sense of humor, although Roose only lets it show a little. He seems to be making jokes purely for his own amusement. Last week, he toyed with Jamie about the attack on King's Landing and Cersei's fate. Now he's making clever japes about Jamie overplaying his position. I absolutely love Jamie and Brienne in this scene. He calls her my lady, and as he presumes, they will be hitting the road together, and when she grabs a dinner knife as Roose Bolton basically takes her hostage, Jamie takes her hand. (laughs) I did like that part. He did it without looking, too, which I thought was great. Shows that they've become um, very familiar with each other. Oh, wow, I didn't even notice that. I was probably taking notes. It's really, really cool. The camera angle shifts behind Roose, and it looks as though they're sitting at the table, hand in hand, like a couple. Wow. I was struck by Varys's face when he was looking at the Iron Throne, talking to Littlefinger. He says, it's an ugly thing, but is he talking about the throne or about the monarchy? No, he was... Ooh, I love that He was talking about Liza Aaron. (laughs) 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 I did want to address the conversation last week about shadows from Lady Rachel's amazing interpretation of the song from the credits. Melisandre talks about shadows in the books and although she is a character with questionable morals she's pretty clear that the shadows are not the same as darkness they're the servants of light and since they cannot exist without light they are on the side of relore i agree with rachel about the shadows in the tent and the shadow babies but i don't think dunk's right about it being a reference to the white walkers they're the bringers of the darkness i know all this stuff is just interpretation so i'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe other listeners thoughts too I think that's enough for this week. Happy St. Patrick's Day from Boston. Thanks, Lady Caroline Collins, writer of Minuscule Massachusetts Mountains, cobbler <laughs> of the Lime Green Fury, chaser of monkeys, and yielder of the remote control. Damn. Thanks, Lady Caroline. That was great email, Caroline. Caroline, Thank you. like Arbor One. Um, did I say it was a reference to the White Walkers? I don't remember that. I, Probably. I, I think it was a reference to the shadow demons when uh, during Khal Drogo's uh, like, attempted uh, healing. But uh, I'll take your word for it, Lady Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> 
Next, we have an email from Archmaster Rennie. Greetings, illustrious podcasters. Well met. First, a bit Seven of information. <laughs> First, a bit of information related to something that came up in last week's Raven Calls, and I checked this in the Citadel Library to make sure of it. Thank you. Seawater does freeze. It just freezes at a lower temperature than fresh water. I'd tell you how many degrees lower, but we haven't invented thermometers yet here at the Citadel. <laughs> 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 our, all our prototypes were melted by trying to measure the temperature of Dragonfire, which is why we hate dragons so much. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. this. A couple of notes on the episode. And thank you for looking into that. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it's, I bet it's, bet it's got to be pretty cold for it to freeze. Because that's one of the ways they use, uh, they make ice cream is by using salt water to uh, use, to like freeze it, get it down below freezing temperature or something. Um, a couple of notes on the episode. Thoros says he knelt beside Beric's cold body the first time he revived them. So evidently Beric was dead for some time before he was revived. Good point. Maybe not as long as Jon Snow, but long enough for his corpse to get cold. That is a really good point. Um, it, uh, I wonder how long that would take. Damn. Maybe it only takes like 10 minutes. <laughs> Jeez. That's, mor- mm. that's morbid. <laughs> um, who knows? I mean, as soon as your heart stops beating, there's nothing like your biological processes stop. There's nothing keeping your body warm, right? Yeah, but if you're frozen, it can protect the brain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Theoretically, it's if you can figure out how to unfreeze it without um, it turning to mush. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ramsey Snow says to Theon, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. I think that observation is prophetic for the whole series. You and me both. There's a commentary track on the DVD with three Stark with the three Stark kids, Bran, Sansa and Arya, who were really who were really who were still really young back when they recorded it, ages 13 to 16. All three kids go ew during the Theon torture scene. We all did. Yeah. We all did. Which is really the perfect soundtrack for that scene during the negotiating Edmure's wedding scene. <laughs> uh, Sophie Turner says, that's the thing about the Game of Thrones. You just can't win. Maisie Williams says, you win or you die, so you might as well die. <laughs> From the mouths of babes, yours devotedly, Archmaster Rennie. And that's twice talking about the mouths of babes this episode, too. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Archmaster. Always great to hear from you. Definitely. I agree. Uh, the next one is from Old Man Fezziwig of House Curmudgeon. Duncan and Kristen. Old Man Fezziwig of House Curmudgeon here. Hey. As always, love this show. Before I get into it, I have to share my concern for you guys. For several shows in a row now, you've crossed the three-hour mark. Not that I'm complaining, mind you, as I could listen to you all day, but we need you guys. Don't wear yourselves out too much. <laughs> Dude, I'm trying to get us below three hours. I promise it's, you it's I hard. am. It's hard. It's hard. It really we, is. We have a lot of emails, and yeah. a lot of them are long. And there's just always so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So you know, we try to get in everything that we can. And I look, if I could have it be two to two and a half hours, my husband would be excited. <laughs> I would be excited. We'll see what we can. I'd do. probably have to do five <laughs> hours less of editing just for that one last hour. So see, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but like we said, it's it's hard to do that. At least it has Anyways, become hard. Yeah. And on to the climb. I'm sure you guys will touch on the pure goodness that is Tywin's scene with Lady Olena. You know it. Tywin is just awful, but you've got to give the good old dude credit. He sure can cook up and then serve his schemes to the best of them. It's pretty <laughs> difficult to outmaneuver the Queen of Thorns. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
I'm not a big fan of heights and my kids got me on this big ass TV. So when John looks down from, (laughs) so when John looks down during his climb, I almost lost my cookies. (laughs) I forgot how nerve wracking that scene was. Yeah, I agree. I'm not big on heights either. Chaos is a ladder. Watch it, Littlefinger. Bran is listening from the future. Also, screw you and your special experience that you gave to Joffrey. Poor Roz. I noticed that Varys was pretty emotionless when Littlefinger told him that he was forced to do it with his bad investment. I guess Varys is playing his cards close to the vest here and couldn't show remorse for Roz. See, I thought he looked horrified at it. I did too. I thought he looked like pretty horrified, but it was like a blank, like shocked look. It wasn't like a, oh my God, it's so sad look. So I can understand that. With that, I'll say Fezziwig out. Um, next we have an email from Lord Tom of the Misty Moor. Hey, Duncan K. <laughs> yeah. What's up, dude? There's not enough hours in the day. Sorry if this makes no sense. I'm rushing to get it to you in time for the recording. On my third watch of the climb, I was struck by Littlefinger's speech at the end. I noticed there are, how there are similar character group structures throughout the episode, which mirror each other. If we look at the ladder as a hierarchy, you can spot this pattern. One, the person at the top of the ladder, an experienced leader slash climber, be it social or literal, Tywin, Tormund, Bran. Two, below them, you have someone associated with animals, Littlefinger, Mockingbird, Orel, Eagle, Osha, Rabbit's Game. This person is a loyal servant of number one, but maybe more interested in self-serving individualism rather than collectivism. They want to do harm to those below them on the ladder. Three. Next, you have a, uh, next you have a girl, kissed by fire, red hair, who is sacrificed or cut loose by number two in order to protect harm coming to them. In order to protect harm coming to them. As well as to hurt number four. There are, these are Raz, Igrit, and Sansa. Four. At the bottom, you have someone who has collectivist views and a secret identity. Varys, John, and Tyrion. They are trodden on by those above them and share a personal like a personal like with number three. I hope you can agree and expand on, expand on this during Raven's Calls. That's a very interesting take. I'm going to need to read that a couple times to like really get my good grasp of that. But yeah, Littlefinger is definitely all about individualism, but he like takes it to the extreme where he doesn't care about other people at all, you know, and then Varys is all about collectivism, but he doesn't really like trot on the individual necessarily in the process of working for the throne. Like he seems to uh, like want to generally protect everybody within the collective. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's a really interesting way to look at um, that type of stuff. And <laughs> it's crazy point, figuring out that people are related with animals that are number two and <laughs> kissed by fire for number three. It's just bizarre connections that uh, you, you picked out here. So that's pretty cool. What do you think about that, Kay? No, I like it. I agree that I'm going to have to look through this a little bit more. Yeah, I'm going to need to spend some time with that. Thank you. Oh, so uh, lots of love, Tom of the Misty Moore. Thanks, Tom. Always great to hear from you, buddy. Check him out on Etsy, too. Tom Moore. Yes. And our last email is from Rachel of House Fox. Hey, Lady Kristen and Lord Sterling. I hope you both have a great week. Here are my ramblings for Season 3, Episode 6, The Climb. One of my favorite quotes occurs at the end of this episode, so I'll just start there. Chaos isn't a pit. It's a ladder. Many who climb it 
fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them and some are given a chance to climb. They refuse. They cling to the realm, the gods or love illusions. Only the latter is real. The climb is all there is. I looked at which characters appeared in this episode and tried to tack them in a little fingers quote as an example of the climb. Oh, I did the same thing. Yay. <laughs> nice. As Littlefinger is telling this of Varys, we get an image of Roz dead in Jeff- Joffrey's chambers. Roz throughout the series has taken a chance to climb the ranks. She starts as a whore in Winterfell, makes it all the way up to one of Littlefinger's girls. She's example of a climb failing and never getting back up to try again. Damn. Varys is one character who has climbed a long way from his meager beginnings. He knows how to play the game for the benefit of the realm. While he's always careful with each step he takes, he refuses to do certain things that Littlefinger would do in order to protect the realm. He clings to the realm's well-being over his own ascension. Boom. Lady Melisandre is another example of someone who started from meager means and has climbed her way up into a powerful position as a priestess for the Lord of Light. She clings so hard to her god, she is willing to do unimaginable sacrifices in order to please her god. Sansa has always been a character that believes in love and illusions. 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 (laughs) At this point in the series, she refuses to play the game because she clings to the illusion that the world is going to the way the songs depict it. Perfect, dreamy, and beautiful. She clings to her love for Laura so much that she can't even see that he is clearly gay. <laughs> Green <laughs> and gold broke anyone? Oh, that line was too much. <laughs> it's just like so over the top. I know. Boy, that is great. The actual climbing of the wall by John and the Wildlings is a visual representation of Littlefinger's quote. I love the shot where the camera pans out and we see them climbing the wall. They look like little ladders, which I found to be very clever. <laughs> They tied to one another. They are tied to one another. And this is also very telling because while the success of their climb is their own, theirs alone, if someone you are tied to falls, you are in danger of falling yourself. Mm. Egret pitches her axe into the wall and causes the crack, which then cr- creates a giant pit. She and John are dangling out over the pit when Oral starts cutting them loose. I felt this was the epitome of the visual representation of Littlefinger's quote. John and Egret are in fact cut loose just as John grabs a hold of the wall and once again start their own ascension towards the top. The climb is all there is. It's all about survival. Sink your metal deep before taking your next step. I feel when Tormund says this, it relates to Littlefinger's patience and how he takes calculated risks. Nice. He only... He only takes risk when there is a possibility of reward. Yeah. Although I have a ton more notes on this episode, I think this is a good place to stop. Otherwise, I'll be writing a short novel on this episode. <laughs> From Brienne's hideous pink dress to Tywin and Elena with their game of words to Melisandre telling Arya we will meet again, this episode is full of foreshadowing and hidden meanings. God, I love this show. Seven <laughs> Blessings, Ra- Lady Rachel of House Fox, titles, titles, titles. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. That was fantastic. Very well articulated. Yes. Good job. Thank you, Rachel. Guys, season three, episode one of Sirenicide came out this week featuring me as Malik Husto. So go and check that out. Go to Sirenicide.com or download Sirenicide at any place where you download your podcasts regularly. It's a lot of fun, so check it out. And you're going to want to start from the beginning to get caught up so you'll understand the context, too. But I think you guys will really enjoy it, so please go check it out. Shout out to Johnny Stitches and the whole team. Love you guys. It's awesome, and uh, can't wait to see what happens. Enjoy, everybody. All right, that's our show, episode 68. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
Thanks, everybody. Next episode, we'll be covering Season 3, Episode 7, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. The Bear, the Bear, the Maiden Fair. <laughs> so yeah, check out The Bear and the Maiden Fair, Season 3, Episode 7, and give it a watch. Send us your thoughts. Send us some voicemails. We love voicemails, really. Record it on your iPhone or whatever you got. Email it to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. And that's the way that your voice will sound the best on our podcast. We'd like you to sound good if we can. So, And it'll give that. our voices a little rest. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Feel free to send us all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and if you're from Germany, you should send us stuff about German with, you know, our article. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to know how some of this stuff is... Um, Pronounced, yeah, that would be uh, yeah. big help. <laughs> Thanks in advance, Hannah Kindler. Um, and no pressure, Hannah. I'm not, <laughs> if you don't time, don't worry about it. Um, but if you guys would like to call us, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us. At ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Ibslap. Oh. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M Podcast. And if you guys don't mind, we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a like on Facebook and an iTunes review. That would be amazing. So thank you in advance, and that will help propel us on the search results into the stratosphere of Game of Thrones podcast excellence. And uh, give us a like on or a follow on Twitter and Instagram, too. Yeah. Do that. Definitely do that. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up, I think. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Cersei. The Mountain. The Night King. Euron Greyjoy. Alicia, Alicia Stout. Stout. <laughs> Have you ever seen Parks and Rec? Yeah, I love that show. I, the way you just said that, I thought of Chris Traeger. Literally. Oh, literally. Literally. <laughs> there are literally. They're literally. 100,000 titles. 200,000 titles. Literally. They're literally the best. They're the best books in the world. That's you should go great. get one. That's, that's the first time I've been compared to him. I usually get Ron Swanson. <laughs> I, I know. I told, I told Dave today, go, Duncan's being very Ron Swanson today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ron is like modeled after me. Uh, and this is Mike. And this is microphone of games, episode sixty-eight. <laughs> Just like I She's fucking like, told I you, know, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's torture. It's torture, it's torture time. time. Ooh, it's torture time. Oh, we're talking about how uh, fuck. Her hopes keep getting brought up and she keeps getting destroyed, you know, like it's the same thing. Like she's going to King's Landing. She's so excited. And then no, her father gets fucking beheaded right in front of her. She's then supposed to be married to Loris. And she's like over the moon about that. And then like, no, uh, ripped out from under her. Plus he's gay. So sorry. And then she like gets returned to Winterfell and she's like, oh, my God, I'm finally home. Like Winterfell. And then nope, she's like brutally raped and tortured by a sadist. Yay. <laughs> 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 
Uh, let's see what else we got. Keep the change, filthy animal.